in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Orange is lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's mind. Everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble, and this is the Lantern Cast, episode two sixty one, quarterly, quarterly number seven. Almost Woo-hoo. done. Almost done. Almost done. So uh, we are covering Green Lantern Core quarterly, quarterly. Well, we call it quarterly, quarterly. It's Green Lantern Core quarterly by itself. Uh, issue number seven. Uh, cover title: Unlock the Door to Fear. And if you're a long, 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 long time listener of the Lantern Cast, like Mark and I were before we became co-hosts, you'll know that way back in Lantern Cast episode number 30, Jim and Dan covered this uh, very same issue for a Halloween episode. Now, it's not Halloween, but we are technically a month out, so early Halloween episode? <laughs> Maybe? It's a, it's a perfect time for another Green Lantern. Leather Lantern Cast classic episode. We're out, people. <laughs> yeah, that's that. We're gonna just go ahead and re- why do we need to cover it? We'll just rebroadcast it. <laughs> this is a, this is our intro, and we'll add some stuff at the end. But we're done. <laughs> I probably will rebroadcast that. I'm just trying to decide: should I tack it on at the end of this episode How long and make is it? Is uh, heck if I know. Uh, tack it on at the end of this episode and make this one's a double length so you can hear me and Mark talk about it and then after the credits you can hear Jim and Dan discover talk about the same stuff or if we should just rebroadcast that I don't want to do too many rebroadcast episodes back to back like that but right. oh, a, we'll just tack it on at the end after the credits if you don't want to listen to it you don't have to listen to it after the after the credits are over go ahead and shut off the podcast if you don't want to hear it. But if, for those who do want to hear it, I mean, come on. What episode did you say this was? 261. 261. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, that was 230-something episodes ago. <laughs> it's always nice to look back. That's right. So we'll re-robcast it after the credits. Uh, it'll be a longer episode, but after the credits are over, if you uh, don't want to listen, you don't have to. So, uh, But if you do, hey, it's cool. Uh, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> All right, man. You're, you're first up. You want to take it? So this – as this series has kind of gone on, they've kind of moved away from everything being like you know the book of this and the book of that, which was, I always – I, I kind of like that symmetry, You know how the series began, how everything was related to a book, and now it's kind of – as you get to the end, it's not quite as cohesive, but – 
The first story in his book is called Horrors, number one. Because yes, there will be more than one horror <laughs> in, in this in this issue. Uh, this story is written by Ron Mars, uh, Tom Vigil, the penciler, T- Tony Harris, inker, Bob Panaya, letterer, Matt Webb, colorist, Tony Harris did the cover, which was of Ash, and Berg- uh, Eddie Berganza and Kevin Dooley, that great tag team, were the editors. Uh, so this first story in Green Lantern Quarterly is another one that we probably don't need to go into a huge amount of detail with, but it's it's certainly interesting nonetheless. And essentially, this what this story is. It kind of it chronicles. It kind of gives you a glimpse in on two different. Uh, I was going to say levels, but I'm not sure if levels is the right word. But it, you, it's two different. You look at it through two different, maybe a prism, and it goes two different ways of interest here. You have this chronicles in a very short you know number of pa- pages the guardians attempt to capture all the magic in the universe which we've heard about before and how basically how the star heart was formed. But at the same time, you actually got something which is kind of rare. We got, not only did we get to see the guardians when they were not just in little, <laughs> in red and <laughs> red dresses hanging around doing nothing, but we get to see full size guardians in badass armor, kicking a lot of ass, right? Chad? <laughs> yeah. Swords <laughs> and everything. Thanks for the backup there. <laughs> Swords and everything. Yeah, swords, armor, you name it. Green Lantern symbols on the on the armor and everything. It's so it's pretty cool. So basically, what we you know they they chronicle the Guardians as they more or less are going making their way through the universe, capturing all the magic. And I do like the fact that right right in the beginning, you know, kind of like one of the last stops of the, that they talk about here is when the Guardians pretty much take on the. The Empire of Tears, and of course the the dreaded home throne world of Yismalt. Yay, Yismalt! <laughs> Is this supposed to be uh, Roxayum or whatever? Well, one of the inversions. Yeah, the, it on the looks front, it. It on does the look. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. Right when I was uh, about to segue to Yismalt, because that's that's what reminded me one, two, three, that not to fail to mention it, that it was Yismalt, because I I remember when I first saw him. That's what made me think that anyway. Uh, so, you know, the Anya's Malt pretty much – the Guardians are ultimately successful, though some of the weaker Guardians pretty much have uh, – you know, the Empire of Tears here does a number a cert- to a certain extent on some of the weaker-willed Guardians. But at the end of the day, the you know, the Guardians conquered Anya's Malt. Uh, they, ca- they captured all the mag- magical energies there. They pulled them all together, good and bad, and they kind of compressed them within the pith of a star, the Star Heart. And they just, as it's described, you know, for, for millennia churned and pulsed, you know, pretty much just on its own. But but over time, slowly, the star heart kind of gained sentience. And as that happened, the, benevol- the, the benevolent part of the star heart kind of saw that at some point it was going to need a champion. And it also kind of was yearning to be free of being pretty much un- under the guardian's thumb. So this part of the star heart managed to escape and found a way out. It merged with uh, Yalangur, who was a Green Lantern, who was a, another Green Lantern of that's 2814. Everybody's a Green Lantern of 2814 when it matters. Uh, this Green Lantern Gur was had been mortally wounded by those who had sworn to protect, and the Starheart kind of merged with him. And at that point, even though it really didn't, <laughs> it really didn't save uh, Gur's life, but they ended up, but they still was they merged, they crashed onto Earth. 
and basically this set, set the stage for, uh, you know, the lantern to be formed, the, the classic old lantern, almost like a genie kind of lantern, which all in all ended up leading its way to Alan Scott, who of course became, you know, became the Green Lantern, the Golden Age Green Lantern. And we, we kind of see, uh, as this, as the story is being, as this story wraps up, we see somebody, a mysterious figure who actually shouldn't be that mysterious because we've seen him before not that long ago in a cloak going, enough crystal, enough. And that is our, that's our little prologue to this issue and that sets the stage for Horrors Part 2! Take it away, Chad. <laughs> Horrors Part 2 picks up writer Ron Mars, penciler Daryl Banks, what? Terry Austin. Anchor, Terry Austin, and Bob Paneha, letterer, and Matt Webb, colorist. Uh, we pick up in an L.A. suburb, to be specific, and we see Jenny Lynn Hayden and, uh, why do I always forget his name? Todd. Todd, there you go. Uh, A.K.A. Obsidian, uh, and uh, knocking on the door to Alan Scott's house. Real subtle, Alan, having your door knocker look like the lantern. Um <laughs> But moving on, Alan answers the door. He's young. It shocks his kids. And then the next page we pick up uh, him kind of catching them up where they are. Uh, he, uh, re- There's really nothing here we need to really touch on. Um, uh, uh, Obsidian asks to see the new costume. And right as Alan puts it on, he there's a knock at the door. He answers. And... Alan Scott, I have come for you. And he's like, don't expect me to go quietly. And this cloaked figure standing in the doorway removes his hood to say, I am Torquemada. And, uh, I mean, you no harm, but the Starheart's about to go kablooey and shit's about to get weird. Um, I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. Um, and he needs Alan to come with him to help. It's, you know, it's... Alan's like, is this kind of what's been going on with me lately? It's possible, and Alan says, I need to figure out answers. He says, bye to Molly, bye to Jade and Obsidian, who want to come, but uh, he tells them to, you need to stay behind and look after Molly. And Alan and Turakamata go off into the stars. Um, do you want to talk about any of this before we move on to... Yeah, the... maybe, maybe maybe we can... We, there's not, like, like you said, there's kind of not a huge amount to talk about with either part, but maybe since they are part one and part two, maybe we can chit-chat a little about what happened in both these early couple-of-page stories. Um, the story at the beginning, it's one splash page and uh, a sort of double-page panel spread. Yep, double-page spread. Um, I like this origin story for what happened to Sector 666 instead of the whole Manhunter angle. I like the whole Guardian's hands-on approach to it. Yeah. Um, it makes a whole lot more sense in terms of, like, the hatred that the survivors of 666 have for the Guardians when it's the Guardians' direct hand and not robots. Well, yeah, but don't forget, Yuz Maul's isn't 666. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean as opposed to, late, you know, later on with the, you know, with the Manhunters and, and, whether it's a glitch, whether it's Krona, depending on which version. I, I do agree. I like the idea that if you're going to have you know this hate on for the Guardians by either you know the Empire of Tears, the Inversions, I, you know down the road Atrocitus, whatever, that it's more direct. You know, it's direct hate because of what you know what they did themselves. I do, I do, I do kind of agree with that. But I think I, I like the way it's drawn too. I think it, with the green hue and everything, and just the just seeing the 
just seeing the Guardians in action like that is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else to say about it other than the fact that I like it better when it's this hands-on approach. The the the, the whole. You know what? We'll I'll save that for later, just because this whole thing's about magic and the Guardians' relationship and the Green Lantern's relationship with magic energies in the universe and everything. I'll save that other that for later. But I don't have anything else to really say about it. Um, the whole Alan Scott thing, I like. You know, I like how we've kind of had like the Chronicles, but this one is sort of more weaved. Yes. It, it makes sense to me this way. I think it's cool. Um, the last issue was kind of like that too. The one you weren't, the one you didn't do, the one with uh, tying yeah. it into the Power Girl and you know, and the female members of the Justice League International or whatever it was. That 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 was there was that kind of you know inter interlaid uh, kind of like a common thread that uh, the narrative structure kept going back to them before. So yeah, yeah, the all female issue. Yeah, going before. Yeah, as opposed to like the. The way it normally be the previous issues when like certainly how it began when you just had you you know you have the bookend stories at the end and everything else just kind of like rolls into each other yeah so it's a little I I kind I kind of do like this I I think this I like the structure probably a little bit more I wonder what was there I wonder because this is definitely before the Kyle Rayner era right yep. What was Daryl Banks' first uh, credited DC work? Because this is just, what, four pages? Uh, I think so. Let's see. That's it. One, two, yep, it's a four-page story. And does he come back for the wrap-up? Let me see here. I didn't think it was Daryl's art, but I could be wrong. Well, it's Terry Austin inking him, so it's a little... Oh uh, no, pencils Mark Tenney on the Starheart side of things. Yeah. It's funny, I just Googled Daryl Banks and the picture they show up on the on the right hand side of the screen is not Daryl Banks. <laughs> not not our Daryl Banks anyway, let's put it that way. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure it's somebody named Daryl Banks. <laughs> I like how they set up Tour Kamada, what, two issues ago? Yeah, I think it was two issues ago. And now he shows up again? That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think that's that's why that's why you know the, the whole the whole cloak thing kind of it it kind of makes because it's almost specter like too. So I guess it could throw some people off, but but just the fact that uh, but if again if you were really reading quarterly on a regular basis, then then it makes sense that uh you could figure out who who it was. All right. Anything else before we move on to the first story? No, I think. That- I think a lot. I mean, a lot. Of, I think many of the stories, actually, as we're going to get to in this issue, many of these stories kind of are self-explanatory. I guess, for lack of a better better way of describing it, I think they are. I mean, there's stuff to talk about in them, but but the actual stories themselves, maybe what the the best way to put it is, what they stand stand on their own. <laughs> yeah, they stand for themselves. So, I mean, even the even the story we're about to do is is uh, it's kind of like that. Um, yeah, this this is you know if I was gonna I mean uh, thus far we obviously haven't covered number eight but of all these uh, issues so far this would be the one I recommend most if 
if I were to recommend one for people to pick up, if you only pick one out of the eight issues, this is the one so far for me. I really like this one. Um, but as you said, they're all, it's all very on the surface. So it's not a lot to, there's not a lot to deconstruct here. No, there's not. All right. Ashes to ashes. Ashes to ashes. Written by Ron Mars again, so obviously this is right. This is the time when Ron Mars is pretty much beginning his staking his claim into uh, Green Lantern, or about to become the Green Lantern writer. Uh, Tony Harris is the artist, Gregory Wright is colors, Steve Haney is the letterer, and Wade Van Graw Badger. Get special thanks to that uh, to him. I should say. So, Ashes to Ashes, the story is... I like the setting. The setting is kind of cool because it's pretty much like in your like your Victorian kind of... Like Victorian London kind of setting. You know, the kind of like the... I was going to say gothic, which is kind of true, but it's more like you're kind of like your Jack the Ripper kind of time frame. That's the way That's the way the buildings and everything kind of look in, in, in this world. Uh, so, we have, we have the, you know, we have the, this woman who's, who's, at, who's walking at night uh, she's doing her basic. She's she she's not gonna. Her fate is not looking too promising, despite you know the reason why she you know she you know her courage pretty much just sends her out to do what you know she needs to do to survive. But unfortunately, she basically gets surrounded by a bunch of vampires. And at this point, uh, before you know, <laughs> right when they're about to, the vampires are about to start sucking. Her blood. Then we get introduced to Ash, who is a Green Lantern that really didn't get that much. Uh, I was going to say screen time, but page time. Though at this point, Ash might be best known for his demise and <laughs> and the big the, the build up towards Blackest Night when he was being sent on the kind of like the uh, suicide mission by Scar to go to try to hunt down the uh, Anti Monitor. Uh, so. We kind of get the narration from Ash's point of view here because he likes you know, he likes he kind of likes the part that when you know when he just kind of like surprises the vampires because it scares the hell out of them. And when this vampire turns around, you know, Scar- uh, Ash has a different kind of reaction because then we we kind of get no pun intended we get a rehash of what happened of basically Ash's origin or his backstory before his Green Lantern origin, and we find out that his wife pretty much what he can't you know. He was he was essentially a farmer. He came home from working the fields, and when he did, he found that you know that the, the vampire that he's staring at right now was the one who pretty much uh, he ripped his wife's throat out. So Ash, of course, leapt into action to try to defeat the vampire. Of course, he was you know he's just a regular farmer. He had no weapons. He had no superhuman strength or anything. So he pretty much was unsuccessful. The vampire just kind of kind of laughs at him and disappears. And of course. Uh, the, the image of that vampire and, and his and the look on his face just never really left Ash. So now uh, this vampire kind of sees a kind of sees a similarity in Ash, though he doesn't look he doesn't look that he looks a little bit like the old Ash, but not that much. But the vampire is sensing something about Ash that looks the same, and uh, you know Ash pretty much you know leaps in leaps into action and he starts he starts taking out taking out some of the vampires. This the vampire that killed his wife has you know this woman in the alley who he who he rescued. That uh, he pretty much Ash you know 
is able to free her from his this other vampire's clutches, and he pretty much tells her, just you know, just run, don't look back, just keep going. At this point, uh, you know, the vamp- the vampire now puts the, you know puts everything together about about why or how he knows Ash, and even taunts Ash by going, you know, do you want me to tell you what I did? You know, pretty much what I did to your wife before I killed her, which she begged me to do. You know, and Ash is trying to act cool as he's lighting a cigarette, going, not interested. And it's like, it's ancient history as he, you know, as he, you know, bitch slaps, bitch slaps a vampire. Another vampire comes leap, leaping at him, and Ash again uses his ring to pretty much uh, kill this vampire. While Ash is kind of cocky in on what he's doing, he kind of, because of his cockiness, he pretty much allows uh, the vamp, you know, the, the vampire in question, just the one who killed his wife, to sneak up behind him. And with a blade, the vampire pretty much cuts off Ash's ring hand. So, needless to say, he is he is temporarily powerless. And the vampire again is kind of cocky. It's like a, it's like you've given me the finger, <laughs> you've given me the finger, a couple of them in fact, but you know hardly worth considering appetizers. But that ring, I could find useful. And you know that kind of really infuriates Ash. He you know, he leaps out with his one remaining hand. He decks. He decks the vampire, then, then he reaches down and puts the ring on his left hand. And he pretty much, uh, at this point, the real fear strikes the vampire, and he's, and he's begging, he kind of begs for mercy momentarily. Ash just kind of said, did you show any mercy to my wife, did you? And he uses pretty much the ring to uh, obliterate the vampire. He, as he said, this is the good part, when the flesh slides off the bone and you smell rotting in the air. So this is the part I lived for, but not anymore. And his wife's name was Tasha, and he goes, "You know, I found him. I avenged you. Now, pretty much, I can stop doing what he's doing, which was on his vampire hunt." And the woman that he rescued comes over to him. It's like, "You mustn't." It's like, you know, you saved me. I couldn't just leave you. It's like, uh, you know, I needed to make sure you were safe. And like, uh, I heard what you were saying that you're finished. And she goes, "Uh, it's like, but you, you have that. It's like, uh, you have that power. And it's like, if you don't use it, who's who's going to protect us? It's like, we need you, Ash." And as they walk away, she goes, there are monsters everywhere. And we kind of see the shadows on the wall uh, as they walk by. And you see Ash's shadow, and you kind of see her shadow. And her shadow is not quite the shadow you would expect because it pretty much makes it – certainly directly implies that she's a monster too. Just a different kind of monster. She's not a vampire. So it was a good story, but it, I don't know. Green Lantern Space Blade. Pretty much, yeah. But that's, but that's the sunglasses or the cool hair. Wait, I guess borderline he's got a cool haircut in a way, but he doesn't have the, the shades. I like it. It was pretty good. I like it because it's straightforward. That's why you like this issue. <laughs> Maybe. I don't – I just – it's straightforward. It's good. There's a lot of uh, great art, emotion, stuff like that. I like how uh, – I like how uh, – Darkness is used in all in, in all of this, really, not just the ash thing, but especially the ash thing with the art. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's vampires, so you gotta you gotta really play with the art style here, especially back alleys and the mystical side of things and stuff like that. So I don't I don't know. I just it's just cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just a, it's just a really good story. Um, what did you think of it? I liked it. I liked the fact that it was Ash because, again, at this point, most of my experience with Ash is more to do with, you know, <laughs> right before they offed him as opposed to knowing much about his background other than, you know, his, you know, that, that 
he wasn't affected by the dark and, and the evil and things like that, like so many other beings, let alone Green Lanterns were. So that was part of his his calling card. But it was it was good to basically see his origin. Obviously, we don't see him get the ring and things like this in the story, but we do see what drove him pretty much to become probably uh, as strong willed and having having that uh, mindset that would make him capable of becoming a Green Lantern. And it's good to see, and it's always good to see people, you know, people, people settle their debts. The Lannisters aren't the only ones that settle their debts, apparently. And that's the way it should be. It's kind of like this was, this was good payback, so. And I like the way it was drawn. I thought the art was really good, like you said. Not just the shadows, though the shadows are, are cool, but just the, the way the vampires look, the way the vampires get destroyed in different panels. It's just, I, 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 th- I think it works. Yeah, it's just it's just really well done overall. Um, anything else about this one? No, it's pretty. This is yeah, this is one of the good. See, it's kind of hard to judge with the Alan Scott story because the Alan Scott story is all encompassing, pretty much in a way, from the prologue all the way through everything. Everything related to the Starheart is kind of like the over. You know, it, that's the that's kind of like the over. The overarching uh, premise of this whole issue, but. The two stories in the middle, the one we just did and the one you're about to do, I think probably are this might very well be the strongest stories in the book. <laughs> so, well, before we move on to the next one, uh, Mark and I are friends with Daryl Banks on Facebook, so I just shot him a quick message. I said, uh, "I said we're covering Green Lantern Quarterly number seven on the Lantern Cast. I noticed your credit on four pages featuring Jade, Obsidian, Alan, and Tor Kamada." Uh, and I, I said, was that one of your first credited DC works? He says, close. My Legion of Superheroes work precedes that. And I asked him how it ended up happening, if it was just like a quick assignment from DC. Uh, um, he says, and I said, because I saw Ron is, is your writer on this. And he says, I was scheduled to get the GL gig already when that issue was coming out, or when that issue was coming together. Interesting. <laughs> And I, I said, gotcha, I forget sometimes the timing of these things. And he says, so long ago, I barely remember the sequence of events. <laughs> yeah, so I, what, was the, what was the release date for this? Uh, let me just go back. So front page, it says, oh, damn it, I can't read what that says underneath. Hold on, I, I might be able to. Just let me go back. I have to, uh, it is, it says winter 93. And when did the Kyle Rayner run start? 95? No. Uh, uh, 94? It's either 93 or 94. It had to have been 93 because 94 was uh, zero, hour. zero Hour. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why I was... Well, Zero Hour was... Yeah, that's right. Cause, let's see, the Green Lantern tie-in for that was... Yeah, it's several issues. But Kyle, Kyle didn't start until 50, and what the, what the Green Lantern tie-in was what? 55 or 56? It zero was hour. right after the Mongol thing. Well, no. Well, the Mongol thing was fit. The Mongol. Well, no, it was it was it was Mongol, and then it was uh, Major, Major Force, Force, and then it was Zero Hour. Right. So that was, but that was only like about six issues into Kyle's run. So I guess. Yeah. So it could. So uh, yeah. So it, it could have been ninety. It could have been ninety three into ninety four. But we should. But we can have looked that up too. That's something we should know off the top of our heads. And ba- but it's embarrassing. But nonetheless. But well, we know I mean, it's, it's Daryl, Daryl was involved with Emerald Twilight too. So. Right. Doesn't necessarily have to be the first Kyle issue that we're judging that right, standard by. All right, cool. Well, pays to have friends in high places. Um, by the way, I believe 
Uh, let me do a quick Google and. Ninety-four. Kyle was ninety-four. Okay. Okay. Because Emerald Pickers Green Lantern fifty was ni- was March of ninety-four. So, so basically, didn't, zero hour, zero hour, I think, was towards the end of the the end of uh, ninety-four, and that would that would kind of match. All right, guys. So. I'm looking at it right right now. Um, if you are in the Cincinnati general area and are free this weekend, this coming weekend, go to the Cincinnati Comic Expo. Daryl Banks will be there. That's right. Daryl Banks himself will be there. Bring your copy of uh, Green Lantern Quarterly number seven and get him to sign his four pages. Or, you know, bring something he had much more involvement with, like, I don't know, Emerald Twilight or, you know, really any major issue of the Green Lantern series when Kyle was, uh, <laughs> when Kyle was in there. Um, and so, and also, by the way, just as a quick side note, um, one of the, uh, the comic creators that's gonna be there, uh, is, uh, oh, what was his name? I mean, other, Neil Adams is going to be there too, uh, if that helps you. But you know, if you don't want to charge, be charged thirty dollars, twenty to thirty dollars for a signature. Uh, go see Daryl Banks for sure. Uh, it's September twenty third through the twenty fifth of, of this weekend. Um, uh, the other person that's going to be there is Mark Bright. If that name sounds familiar to you, Mark Bright did some of the Green Lantern work, a hefty part of the Green Lantern work. Um, during the Action Comics Weekly series. No, I'm not going to plug my show. You just Although did. I, you just did, Chad. Oh, <laughs> technically, yeah, I guess I did. Um, but he also did work on Green Lantern after the Action Comics Weekly series wrapped up too. Um, I've uh, I've got some feelers out to him to try and get him on uh, one or both shows. To be honest with you, um, and. Uh, you know, if that works out, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But you know, on the off chance it does, you're being teased right now. We may have Mark Bright on 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 one of the on either this show or Action Comics Weekly at some point in the future. Um, so we can talk to him about all of his Green Lantern related thingamajigs. Uh, but yeah, uh, Cincinnati Comic Expo this weekend, uh, the twenty twenty third through twenty fifth, um, in Cincinnati. Daryl Banks, Neil Adams, Mark Bright, go check it out. So there yeah. you go, Daryl. There you that's, go, Daryl. <laughs> that's, that's my plug for you, Daryl, uh, since you re- responded so timely to my Facebook message that I sent as we're recording this. <laughs> okay, so next story up. So, so the message to that, Daryl, is string them out a little bit longer, make them work a little bit more for the answers, and it's amazing. And you have no idea how much chat will do for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, to the airport, even. The next story is called Green Hell. Writer James Robinson. What? Uh, Kirk Van Warmer is pencils. Andre Parks and Richard Faber, or Rich Faber on the inks. Bob Paneha letters and Robbie Bush on colors. This story is kind of interesting. Um, there's a lot of great dialogue and stuff in here, but essentially. There's this um, alien slug slash snail, Green Lantern, that guards the gates of hell. 
And every day, he wakes up, charges his ring, and goes to guard the gates of hell from various demons and creatures who are trying to break out of hell. Um, he's an older lantern. Uh, he's an older man. Uh, he's uh, eternally this way. He, he, he kind of makes... Uh, the narration slash uh, inner monologue, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes which it is, um, is other other than the perspective at which it's told. Uh, it it kind of leans towards he's kind of resentful of the fact that the Guardians chose to make him relatively immortal in his old and weakened state, but he fights on anyways every day. And on and on. Um, we suddenly cut to a medical ward where the Guardians are talking to Budika, and they're sort of reprimanding her, sort of just telling her, updating her on what's going on. Uh, he says, it, you know, it comes in cycles, daily it flares, his fever. It's uh, sad. She says, it's partly my fault by thinking this boy should wear the Emerald Ring. And you're wondering, what the hell is it? Where the hell, what, what happened in this story? And Budika says, I selected him as Green Lantern, thinking him perfect, a young soldier brave as part of a fighting unit. And, he's, and the Guardian says, but Budika, he lacked the ability to go out on his own, to fight alone, unaided. And she says, what causes? He says, space mongrels. They swarmed him, overcame him. By the time Kilowog arrived on the scene, the boy was in the state. Coma caused by his injuries. It comes with the fever. With it comes the fever. A shame, yes, and who knows, if you'd approached him later on when he was more mature, battle-hardened, he might have been an, a credit to the core. And Boudicca says, says, despite the coma to the monitors, register brain activity. What's been going on in his head for all this time? What secret fevered place within himself does poor young Baron now live? And Baron, the lantern who we saw guarding the gates of hell, is a young man, slash space slug, <laughs> uh, in a coma, in a medical ward, on Oa, presumably. And then we cut back to the story of him continuing his fight day after day, guarding the gates of hell and on and on. He says, all that is good. Uh, all that is good is all I protect. I shall not falter, which is a callback to earlier in the story. He has his own lantern kind of, which is shaped like a, uh, a Nautilus shell with a handle on it, which is cool. I think. And his oath is, in this place of black and gray and dark, the green shall be my light, my hope, my strength. All that is good is all I defend. I shall not falter. That's his oath. And uh, I don't know. I just I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think this this is to me this is the best story in the book. Uh, lucky Chad, lucky. <laughs> Uh, but that's that last that last panel of him kind of like curled up in his little kind of like vegetative state and hooked up to the little IVs and everything else, everything they have going into him. It, it, I mean, it's it's cool from the point of view that in his heart he is a Green Lantern and he's always gonna you know as long as he's alive and certainly has any kind of consciousness he's going to be he's going to be a Green Lantern. But it's also kind of sad that. You know, it's the, the contrast. The contrast, of course, is onto itself is interesting because you know the story begins in his narration that he's kind of like old and weathered, and you know he wishes you know that he had become he had been given this power and this basically this immortality, if you will. But he was younger and he could have appreciated it more. And of course, he really is young and in, in, 
and in a way kind of has his immortality when he's young because he's just kind of like just permanently in the state. But yet in his mind's eye, it's the you know he's he's old, so you can read into that like why he thinks that he's old and things like that. But I think it's it, I think it's interesting, just the fact that you know that this this is in his mind's eye, kind of like this is what how he's. This is just what he sees over and over again. Like he's 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 continuing the good fight, even though he really, you know, is literally in a physical sense can't do anything. But in his mind's eye, he's got pretty much arguably the most important job of all. And the Guardians chose him on purpose for it. And and I like the way they tie that in, hoping that the Guardians are going to want, you know, every day is going to be. He's hoping it's going to be his last, the day that the Guardians more or less relieve him of of this duty. So you can, you know, psychoanalyze. Politically, you can you can tie that into he's hoping essentially deep down that this each day is going to be the last day of his coma and that he might come out of it. I just, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really good story. It's and it just is kind of sad seeing him all, all curled curled up there. But it's but again, there's a little bit maybe it's a little bit uplifting too the fact that despite the fact that we know what, what he's really like that in his mind's eye he's still doing he's still doing everything a Green Lantern can and should. Do you think it's in his mind's eye, though, given the whole supernatural nature of this uh, issue? Yeah. Like to 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 the guardians and Boudica, he really he's in a coma, but he is really in hell, guarding the gates of hell as a Green Lantern. Uh, with this one, I think this one is just that's just unless there's something in the beginning in the in the narration that would make us think that. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't see why. In the, well, not even the back. Let me take that back. Not even necessarily what's in the back. The first few panels. It's just the fact that you, you you go back and you you read his background too. They talk about it. You know, you know he when he wasn't reading about myths and you, you know and things. You know he he was reenacting them and his friends always pretended to be the villain so he could be the hero and his head was always filled with tales of warriors and things like that. So I think yeah, I think this is. I think everything points. Especially when you look at what the guardians say, there's nothing, there's nothing in what the guardians tell you about what happened to him, which would indicate there's any kind of magic, ref, any magical aspect of what happened to him or how he was beaten or anything. So I think, yeah, I think this is just one of those, one of those classic things we see we see very often where somebody's dreaming or someone's in a you know in a, in a vegetative or seemingly vegetative state, but that but the story you're actually seeing is what their the story in their minds. Uh, but they think it's happening when it's not really going on. So yeah, I think I think he's just imagining this. Hmm. But. Uh, I like the little touches, like the uh, sort of Nautilus shape in his Green Lantern symbol. Yes. The the whole thing with his lantern and uh, the art is really cool looking, dynamic. Uh, I want to use the word wispy um, to it, which really helps with the whole demon looking angle um i don't know it's just cool looking uh i really would like to see this 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 character come back and uh i i know i, I know we think it's all in his head but i'd like to see a story where it's it's it we it, it, it turns out that he's not like you know uh, uh just for for example like when hal died and went to the dead plane or whatever during uh uh the dead Rath- Wrath of the First Lantern or whatever. Like, if if we saw something of him... You know, I don't mean to revisit of that, but, you know, like... 
something like that where you see this lantern guarding the gates of hell or something. I think I think that's just such a cool idea. I'd like to see I'd like to see something done with this character again. I even like the way the page, the pages when he's when he's in his uh when he's in his action mode when he's I was going to say when he's in his dream but what however you want to interpret it when he most the page the way they kind of like draw the pages when he's telling his story or we're, lo- we're view, looking in at his story just the way they have kind of like the the pillars and stuff and almost like the gargoyles and things so you either can take you can either just take that as you know his classic you know structure around it or just like to me it almost just looks like pages from like a classic book or something yeah. Uh, mythological, which again, if you go back and you read the stuff about his background, that would also make sense. So I think, and now, and now when I'm reading this, when I'm reading the story, there was one panel in particular I'm looking at, and it's like, why does this look f- so familiar? And now it makes sense why when when we were back in the day when I had the Facebook, had that Facebook game that Jim I think created Baron as a character, and now I know what, what one of the reasons why Baron would be on his on his brain so much because because they did this issue <laughs> yeah i i like it i think you know even if even if they didn't do another where they brought it back they didn't do another story where, where he actually was guarding the gates of hell but let's just say all this time baron's been in a coma now obviously you couldn't put him on oa because then you know he wasn't transferred from oa to mogo and you know we haven't seen him in the medical ward or whatever maybe he there was like a maybe there's like a planet or something they entrusted him to you know but you know all these years later he wakes up out of a coma and when he went into the coma he was a young man like it shows here in this story but when he gets out of it he's not because it's been so long so he gets out of the coma, but he still, you know, whether it's a hallucination or reality or whatever for him, he gets out of the coma with all this experience and all of a sudden is like this amazing lantern. That would be cool. Because he believes, you know, regardless of whether it actually happened or not, he believes he's had all this all this experience. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see, you know, and in, in, let's say the Guardians, you know, de- you know, obviously he probably doesn't have his ring while he's in the medical ward or whatever. But... You know, so whoever is supposed to be the guardian of his real sector, whatever it is, or the Green Lantern of that sector, you know, let's say, you know, they die, the ring goes searching for a replacement, it's found somebody, and then all of a sudden at this moment is when Baron wakes up, and all of a sudden it, you know, it looks like it's going straight to some person, and then it, like, cuts right. <laughs> it goes, nope, <laughs> found one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... One of the good things about going back and doing doing these will be eight issues when we're done, when it's complete. One of the good things about going back and doing these issues is you, besides just getting an introduction to some lanterns that either A, you forgot about, or B, you didn't, but you already knew, but you didn't necessarily know either the origin or how they were introduced, is just seeing some of these other characters that you probably never – you may have heard of, but you may not – but maybe you didn't, or if you did, you have no understanding whatsoever about, you know, why people, you know, some people know this lantern, but why? And then you you go back and you you know you reread these, or you read these stories for the first time, and you it's like yeah, it certainly makes you know it makes a whole lot of sense why these characters are are pretty cool and why people like them. And if you, you just, and you're discovering them for the first time, it's it's an, it's a treat. So I think so. Not, as we know, not every single issue in this series has been uh, something to write home about. 
but in almost every issue that we've done, there have been some good stories. Yeah. And this, I think, then this issue, this issue has, and I, and I think this issue has a lot of good interaction between characters, even when we go back to the, you know, the Torquemada and Alan Scott thing. I think that kind of, you have a, I like to kind of like the relationship or these, the beginnings of a relationship there too. So, but that was a good, but that, I, I do think the, excuse me, I think the Baron story, I think is the best one. Yeah, I definitely would agree. All right, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, the, the next one's kind of a weird story, uh, and and I'm trying going to try to do it justice, but I also think I'm going to end up skipping a lot through this one because there's a lot going up. There's a lot That's going. Fine. There's a lot going on, but yet again, like like we've talked about, the common thread in this issue is most most of what's going on is pretty straightforward. So, and if I overlook something or, or in my attempt to kind of go through this pretty quickly. Uh, I'm sure Chad will chime in if there's something of relevance that I missed, but so the story, the triumph of the will writers, John Skip and Craig Spector pencils, Matthew Jorgensen inks, Wade Van Grawbadger letters, Bob, Bob pin, excuse me. And Stuart Shafetz is the, is the colorist. So essentially we begin, we begin on, on this planet or in this system, uh, but egg, but agree. Somni or Somnia three and, we see the Green Lantern of this sector, uh, which is Arya, not related to the Starks, but another Arya, <laughs> and pretty much they're in a state of uh, a condition of war, and the enemy of their the people in the system, or certainly Arya's enemy or Arya's enemy, excuse me, are happen to be yellow, yellow-skinned individuals. So that kind of like feeds. Seemingly, it kind of feeds or amps up his anger towards these people. But a lot of what's going on here is pretty much he's he's using the he's using his ring to help fight this war and to win this war. He's using his hatred and his desire for revenge, if you will, to to fuel to help fuel his will to keep going and keep going. And essentially, essentially, he's very much he's very much like a Sinestro-like character. That yeah. the whole the whole point here is that he's trying to establish dominance in this in in in, in uh, Agrius Somnia three. Uh, he's he doesn't really whatever they throw at him just tends to make him stronger, and he's determined to to win the war, to establish dominance, and to d- defeat and destroy the enemy as best he from his point of view as as best that can be the best possible solution based on you know. What what matters to him, and that's just pretty much winning. You know, winning. You know, winning the war isn't enough. He pretty much he comes up, you know, with with with, with work, you know, with work camps and uh, reformation chambers. So pretty much, you kind of kind of have like the like the Nazi Germany kind of aspect of this too. What he's how he's tre- how he's treating the uh, how he's treating the yellows, for lack of a better way of describing them. Um, so you know. You know, he pretty much just you know, sets himself up as you know, judge, jury, and executioner. But at this point, uh, you kind of have a you kind of have a, a a movement, if you will. The people who uh, want the the yellows are not just the yellows, but mostly the yellows who kind of want to to take out Arya and, and stop his reign. They pretty much uh, come up with this plot, and they know that despite the fact that you know he hates the yellows so much and everything else, but he has a weakness for their women. 
So they pretty much set a trap for him. They send, uh, they send, her name is Saleya. She goes, she more or less is the chosen one to unfortunately have to, you know, be sexually abused by him. But after all that is said and done, she's, they, they, and they also were counting on the fact that the yellow skin might be, make, give her an ability to affect the ring in a positive way for their, from their point of view. But basically, but after he falls asleep after, from doing everything he did, he did to her, she's able to slide the Green Lantern ring off his finger, and she pretty much uh, swallows it. And of course, you know, you know, he, you know, when, once uh, Arya wakes up and everything, and you know, he he's determined to find you know to find the ring, and they, and they of course they look <laughs> they look towards her first. And everything, so they, so they start torturing her. A, a very clever little tactic here is when she's being tortured, she kind of like says, "Oh, General Jolene, he, I gave it, I gave it to him. He promised he'd protect me." And of course, uh, this uh, doesn't sit well <laughs> with Arya, and they pretty much uh, she gets she gets sent back off. You know, they, they torture her, but they don't get any information out of her. They, she ends up being returned back to the rest of the to the rest of the yellows where she's kind of like temporarily reunited with, with her husband. It's her husband, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. We, I'm trying to remember if they specifically say it, but if it's definitely her lover, if it's not her husband. Uh, but at this point, quickly after they're reunited, one, you know, one of the, one of the guards pretty much just blasts her husband. And they more or less, we find out that he just pretty much did it on a bet saying that, that a, a blast would come, they had a bet whether the blast would or wouldn't cut a body in half. You know, Arya continues basically. You know, he's he's going searching high and low on this pla- on his planet now, trying to find the Green Lantern ring. He has the power battery, <laughs> and he kind of he kind of proudly you know shows that all around, making it sound like he still has you know that he's still in charge. He still has the power because he's got the power battery, but he doesn't have a doesn't have a ring to be able to access it. Uh, what we what we find out, and this is when it kind of gets really weird too, because it gets following the theme of kind of supernatural. That one, I guess, one of the bodies of one of the bodies that was that was killed. Right, we're supposed to assume she's dead, or she's almost yeah, dead. Yeah, it's, it's Leia. Right, but is she dead or is she just almost yeah, she's, dead? No, she's dead. She's dead. That's what I thought. I'm just making sure that I didn't that I wasn't like reading too much into it. So there's a whole bunch of dead bodies of the yellows that were killed. She's still, of course, as the, the the power battery is paraded, it gets closer to where these bodies are. And the power ring that she swallowed from Arya is still inside her. So as it gets closer, pretty much the power battery and the ring <laughs> interact. Saleya has a lot of will and also has another one, a lot of will because of a lot of the desire for revenge. So essentially you have this <laughs> this this corpse Green Lantern, which gets, you know, which gets reanimated she, uh, you know, she calls. She, you know, she calls the battery. The ring basically calls the battery to it. You know, you can see the look on his face and the get get the hell away panel, which is pretty awesome because he's petrified at this point. You know, she has the battery. She's got the ring, and pretty much. Uh, <clears throat> I like this narration: like a billion souls scream, a scream of tortures remembered. A scream of release, a scream of vengeance. The scream becomes a chant over and over again. They chant Arya's name over and over, and pretty much almost this is almost like a like a blackest night kind of thing. But all all, all these all these corpses are brought essentially reanimated by the will, I guess, of Saleya, who pretty much go after uh, Arya, and they begin to uh, 
they overpower him. They they rip they rip into him. They 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 kill him. Uh, and pretty much at this point, uh, you know the the as they say the you know the ethereal walls of reality and unreality of heaven and hell of life and death all crumble and collapse, and with it the empire. And you know, Ari is dead. Uh, the ghost, you know, basically the reanimated corpse of her lover Alea. Come, they're, they're they're together. Salea so says, you know, we can go now. It's like, uh, or she, or Alea says to Salea, you know, we can go now. You've earned us a little peace. At that moment, pretty much the Green Lantern ring leaves her finger, and all the reanimated corpses collapse. And that's pretty much the end of the story. I wish it wasn't so definitive that uh, this this guy was dead. Because he he's another I'd like to see brought back. Maybe he's like uh, an, uh, a potential recruit for the Sinestro Corps, who Sinestro even says no to. Yeah, you know? I could see I could see something like that. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be interesting. Uh, or maybe something done with the ring, since it's just sort of left there on the planet. But that, but that also, but that also could be because. Well, yeah. I mean, theoretically, the ring should go into another sector. Then I was going to say maybe because there's really like pretty much nothing alive left <laughs> after this is over with. But yes, the ring theoretically should have gone flying off into a, another sector. But I like the way the red rose is kind of like growing through the red ring. I mean, the green ring. Excuse me. It's kind of like growing through, uh, sprouting through the the Green Lantern ring that's kind of like left inanimate on the ground. So, I mean, uh, this again—it's a very straightforward, uh, you know, bare bones type of story. No, no pun intended. Um, but uh, I don't know. It wasn't as good. It wasn't as good as the last story. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Which isn't to say that it wasn't good. And, no, uh, and, and you said you 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 said uh, some you mentioned something. About uh, he's using his power and his ring to kind of win the war. He started it in the first place. That is true too. Because when he got the ring, he was trying to unite all the planets or something. And when he went down to one of them, they worshipped him as gods, and the others resisted. So, you know, he's he's pitting one against the other, and yeah, super super sinestro here. Which which I think on some level also takes away from the enjoyment of the story, not because. Not just because a we've kind of seen things like this before about people misusing rings, but and, and and of course Sinestro is the poster child of a Green Lantern gone wrong doing the same kind of thing, but it's just it, it's just it makes I know the main point of, of basically the main point of him being in the story is not the main point of him being in the story is not uh really him it's about you know Salea. <laughs> that's really what the point is to get from point a to point b but i some having a you know having a bad green lantern it, it's after a while you know it's it makes it we know they are I mean, law of averages would simply state that there would be no matter what but it, i think we could it, overall i think we would prefer seeing positive stories about green lanterns <laughs> yeah for sure I hate to just roll right over it, but do you have anything else to say about this one? I thought the, I liked the art. I thought the art was pretty good in this one too. I thought it was spotty in places, but otherwise pretty good. Right. I think that I think that's fair. I think uh, the corp the animated corpses were pretty good. 
uh, Arya, for the most part, he, yeah, he was a little uneven, and he kind of like facially he looked different at least a few times. But I think overall, I did. I think it, got, it told the art fit the story. I mean, I would say that. But yeah, it's a good story, but I, it's certainly not. It doesn't. I don't think it's one of the. It's certainly not one of the better ones. I think in this issue. Yeah. All right, moving right along, the Starheart writer Ron Mars pencils. Mark Tini, uh, or Tenny, whatever. Inks by Wade Vaughn Grainberger, Grain Badger, Graw Badger, Graw Badger. There you go. They get some. Uh, they have some interesting names in this issue when it comes to like, the Graw Graw Badger and, and and what was and the other and the other name. I'm trying. Daryl Banks. No. <laughs> the Daryl the, the Daryl Banks name was was pretty straightforward. It's the, uh, the I think there was one other. There was one other name I thought besides Grow Badger. But go ahead. I'm not gonna... uh, letters Bob Pineja, colors Matt Webb, and special thanks to Jason Pearson. We open up with Alan and Torquemada at sort of the edge of the universe uh, where the Starheart is, and it is crackling with energy and going all kinds of wombat-ass crazy. Um, I don't know why I said wombat-ass crazy. You're still roll with it, man. Whatever. Uh, so... Uh, Torquemada tells Alan that the Starheart is becoming unstable. Uh, and if it, un- it becomes unstable, then boom goes the magic and uh, chaos ensues in the universe. Um, the sentinel of the Starheart, this uh, beautiful woman, is dead. She's the one who was guarding, of course, the Starheart. You know, and tortured from the looks that she was be- uh, being a beauty and uh, loyalty, who would commit such a uh, heinous deed? And boom! The Starheart shows up, looking kind of like Anubis. If you think or, about or it, like, or like Stegron the Dinosaur Man in like pink. <laughs> um, a lot of back and forth here, but essentially what the Starheart is saying is, "I am the Starheart, physically given form." Which is God. Can we count how many how many how many uh, hands was going to take to count the amount of times the Starheart physically takes some sort of form, and it's always different. Um, but anyways. Uh, we see glimpses of various things. We see uh, the story we just saw with Bryn. We see the Ash story. We see uh, uh, what happened uh, uh, with the, all the corpses in the, the story we just read. And we also see uh, Jade and Obsidian under attack by a monster, and Molly is there, and they're defending her. Um, basically, the Starheart's telling Alan, you, your power is of me, dude. What do you think you could possibly do? Um I'll come back to these other panels, but you see the Starheart amping up. Nobody has thrown any punches yet, but uh, the Starheart's trying to get in their head. It's trying to have um, Tor Kamada remember um, what happened with Giselle, uh, and 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 he's also having Alan uh, think about you know his his greatest fear, um, you know former. Uh, uh, forever bound in torment and separated from those you love and, and so on and so forth. Alan then, I don't know, recharges himself, freaks out, whatever, um, and starts fighting up, up against the Starheart while Torquemada is still in sort of the thrall, the mental thrall of the Starheart. Uh, Torquemada finally busts out of that thrall and joins Alan uh, in, in the fight a little bit. He says the the magic breaks its bonds; it will escape. Uh, uh, you know, do what you can to contain it. Uh, is what Alan says. Uh, he says I've got uh, I've got a beating to administer. So Alan takes on the physical form of Starheart, 
of the Star Heart where Tor Kamada tries to take on this sort of leaking magic. Um, Alan says, you know, I've won. Uh, he gets struck by power again. Uh, and then all of a sudden, kaboom. And later it's a, uh, and right before all of this, there's several panels that are uh, kind of oddly placed. Uh, throughout this, but we get uh, images of various uh, characters throughout the DC universe. Who is the first one? That's what I was going to say, too. I'm not sure who that one is. It's a pink lady. Uh, she sort of looks like Shadow Lass, if Shadow Lass was pink instead of uh, uh, pink and pink skinned instead of blue skinned. But uh, at first, it's this woman. I can't remember. I don't know who this is. Then we see Dr. Fate, who I believe is a woman at this point in yes. the DC universe. Uh, we see the demon Etrigan. Uh, we see this person who I don't know. Yeah, so what I actually first like, when you when you said who that person is, I actually thought you meant the one we're on now on on uh, on the Giselle Please page. I didn't realize I had to backtrack and realize these things. They they went back even further than that. Um, yeah, I don't know who this character is either. Obviously, we know who the next one is. <laughs> That's right, Phantom Stranger. Uh, and then we see uh, Dark Side, and then we see the Spectre. And these panels are saying, it begins slowly, minutely, a pebble in a still pool. But the ripples are perceived by those with the senses to feel it. Those who were until recently called heroes. And that shows the first, you know, the pink lady. And those who are who still are, no matter what skin they wear, the Doctor Fate. Demons from the pit who who caper through our world. You see the demon, or ruthlessly rule their own. We see this horned person. I don't know who this is. Uh, then we see strangers who safeguard worlds, uh, who safeguard worlds. Of course, the Phantom Stranger, or demigods who crush them beneath their heels. Dark side, even ones to whom worlds are as grains of sand. The Spectre. The ripples build into waves, but before they can reach out and intervene in the cataclysm, it is loosed. So, uh, and then uh, later on, we see Torquemada and Alan on an asteroid in the middle of nowhere. Alan's like, well, what's going on? What's happened? Well, the it's it's gone. The magic was released. Uh, and the star heart has vanished as well. And uh, Alan asks, you know, what's going on? And, and, and Torquemada says, uh, not all of it. Your family's safe. I managed to capture a portion of the magic and seal it within this. And he has this sort of green orb um, in his hand. Uh, but the balance roams free, as does the star heart itself. Uh, the consequences are yet to be seen. Alan says, I won't be pushed around anymore. If and when the star heart resurfaces or whatever evil arises from it, I'll be there. I faced the darkness within and found that the light will always prevail in the end. Mm. I like that shot of the Phantom Stranger. <laughs> I figured you would. I think that uh, the Spectre's on the Spectre panel is good too. Yeah, that reminds me of one of the covers of the Spectre. Um, I don't remember if it was a Spectre, like a, the a Spectre series cover, or if it was just a cover with the Spectre, like an Adventure Comics cover or something, but uh, that's neither here nor there. What do you think of this? It didn't do all that much for me. Uh, I like the... I like the concept of it. I like the... I, I, I do find... I always find it interesting when you have the contrast between the magic, you know, and the... 
basically like the magic and the science and everything like that, or the science that the quote unquote science, if you will, like how the ring, how the rings are based in the Green Lantern Corps versus you know the magic aspects of either Allen's and or that part of the 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 magic, the green energy in the universe. I think I, I always find that interesting. Like you said, we've 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 kind of been down this road and ha- multiple times before with the Starheart showing up, taking different different forms and taking over people and and but I do I do like the fact this I do like the way they tied it into the you know the original the beginning of the this issue with the origin if you will of the Starheart and the first art and the origin of how how part of the energy escaped and. So I thought I thought that worked well. I I also thought it was kind of a nice twist, if you will, that it kind of didn't end with a you know 100% happy ending. Yeah. Um, talking about the balance between science and magic. So the Star Heart is supposed to be all the random magic in the universe coalesced into this uh, relatively inescapable form uh, that over time gain sentience, right? Yes. How do beings of pure science wrangle magic? Not just not just the light and the dark side, but chaos magic. It's a good I question. would love to see a story of sorcerer guardians. Warrior sorcerer guardians. Who knows? Maybe what's maybe uh, Rini or whatever the hell, or Ramy, whatever his name is from uh, Green Lanterns. Maybe he's maybe maybe his background is going to be something like that. You know, you that's don't know. what the Phantom Ring is. Maybe, not well, not necessarily what the Phantom Ring is, though it would be kind of clever. Uh, even though clearly looking at the solicits without going into details, we know it does still tie into the emotional spectrum. There is uh, the, the Phantom Ring that will have. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. It's just the idea of who he is and why he's different and and completely different. Uh, so it'd be kind of cool if, if that were the were the case. But I, I think your point is valid. It'd be it would be good to see different to see guardians just in general to see some guardians that had different areas of expertise and different areas of interest and back in the back before they all because they got so incredibly anal where you and monolithic where you had to think you had to yeah. think like us. Almost like a political correct a- aspect of it, where there there wasn't a whole lot of free thought. You could only think there's only one right way of thinking about any one given thing at any given time. So you have to think like us, or else you get kind of get pushed out. It would be nice to to see stories like that, and and yeah. I'd like to see him not live afterwards. Like somehow the containing of all the random ma- magic in the universe kills them, which makes sense why they're not around anymore. Like you don't have to you know introduce them to, you know, continue on doing stories with them and keep them in the DC universe. Just tell me that story from the past. Give me that his, you know, almost like the the Ganthet's Tale one-shot thing. Yes. A prestige format semi-large story that gives me a lot of history and stuff about, you know, the 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 DC universe or the Guardians and the Green Lantern Corps. But really we've never really revisited for the most part. No, that's true. I so you don't have to introduce these warrior sorcerer guardians um, and explain how they did the whole Starheart thing or anything, and you know keep them around so you can use them again. Just tell me this one story. I want to see it. I'd be really interested how it fits into the the uh, 
the evolution of the Guardians and not just the evolution of them physically as beings, but into their thought process, how they go from beings who are okay with having some among their ranks who are as powerful as they are, but are more magic based. Um, whereas the rest, you know, and, and what did they learn from that crew and what they did with the Starheart to force them to become, you know, to, you know, it's like eliminating possibilities when you go, well, with this power and our immortality, we could go, you know, you know, these, these five different paths. And, you know, when they do the Manhunters, that does one thing, and then the Zamron split off, and that does another, and then the Controllers happen, and that's another thing. And then these Warrior Sorcerer garden, Guardians, they they take care of the magic stuff, but at a cost. And that eliminates another path that the Guardians could have gone down. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to, to see that story. Um, they The way this story is laid out, Especially this panel here, where the Starheart is kind of re-showing these stories that we've already read. I'm getting the feeling that the Starheart is connected to these stories. The magic that is going on in these stories, whether it's reanimated corpses, vampirism, um, uh, Bryn guarding the gates of hell. That's part of the reason I asked if it's possible Bryn really is physically in a coma, but actually spiritually guarding the gates of hell. I could. I mean, yeah, I think. Because the Starheart makes it seem yes, by showing you are correct when they when they and I was thinking that when you were when you were reading that when you were reading the last story going over it that based on showing you a glimpse of that obviously there is something there is some aspect of magic that is leaked that leaked out that affects that story somehow so I guess we have we I guess we have to so I guess we have to think that see it's still hard to imagine it's really it's really really happening. Uh, on some level, but uh, but obviously magic is is magic is even if even if the magic is just the fact that it's influencing him in his coma to be able to to have such grand you know illusions and that at the very least it has to be influencing him on that way that normally maybe he would not being in a being in a coma normally he wouldn't have any kind of thoughts or any kind of dreams or anything. Not, not that kind of higher brain function, but yet he does, at least on occasion, to them. I mean, as far as like they're observing him uh, at, in awe or whatever. But for him, he's having it all the time. So maybe that is a magical influence that he's able to be that sentient and to have to have these adventures and things like that. I don't know. That's a t- that is to me the top, the hardest one to actually figure out where the magic really plays into having in the context of the story to make it seem how it's possible. <clears throat> I'm also curious then if the magic is supposed to be affecting these stories, is the magic also somehow tied to these other characters? Dr. Fate, the demon, uh, the phantom stranger, dark side, the specter, or all these just magical characters in the DC universe feel, feeling the ripples, you know, because right. the star heart is such a pure concentrated form of raw magic that they can't help but sense something's going on. That's what I that was my initial interpretation was that they were showing these characters because that the leaking the leaking energy if you will the leaking magic was a, they it was based on their abilities, based on their power set and based on yes the probably the the raw amount of uh magic slash energy being released even when it was just just leaking and not a full explosion that was enough to get people's attention. <clears throat> Yeah, because I've, 
I think it's Ryan Daly. I'm not sure. Uh, it might have been it might have been Michael Bailey when the because uh, Michael Bailey joined Ryan Daly on the Secret Origins podcast to do the uh, Alan Scott origin, uh, uh, the one with uh, it was Alan Scott and the Creeper. Um, I think it was number seventeen. I'm just pulling in a number out of my ass right now, um, but I'm pretty sure it was some, somewhere around there. Uh, and one of those two said something about how they don't like the fact that. There have been times when everything magic related has been tied into the Starheart. Everything magic related in the DC universe, no matter what it is, uh, you know, from the the waters at Slaughter Swamp and how it inter in, you know interfered with the Grundy, to you know Doctor Fate or you know Phantom Stranger, Spectre, whatever it may be, that it's all somehow Starheart related. And I don't like that either. I think I'd be I'd be okay with it if it was sort of Starheart related, but like uh, you know the, the the Guardians gathered all the random magic in the universe, and they didn't get it all. Like, most of the random magic in the universe, the uh, random chaos magic or whatever you want to call it, and either some was left over, or the Guardians gathered all the random magic in the universe. And throughout the billions and billions and billions and billions of eons, little thing, little pieces of the star heart splintered off. You know, maybe right. one lands in one lands in Egypt, and that's how you get that. Or, I mean, I have no idea, but you know, um, uh, maybe one, you know, and, and one splits off and then hits Yalan Gur, and that's how you get the whole lantern side. <laughs> it's all star heart connected, but not in the way that. You know the 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 whole Yalan Gur side of things happened after the Starheart had gained sentience, but before the Starheart gained sentience, pieces of it split off, and it's just random raw magic, and that's how you get the other magic uni- users in the DC universe and their history and lore. I don't know. I, even even that, I kind of have a problem with it all being connected to one thing. Yeah. Okay, I, I can understand that. As much as I do like the idea, you know, like we say in one of our promos, how the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe, <laughs> I don't think it should be that connected. <laughs> the Green Lantern Universe is part of Cosmos and, and Alan Scott and therefore the JSA and the Justice League and blah, blah, blah. Also, every magic character that ever existed in the DC Universe. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. But, I don't know. Um, just 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 a random thought. I didn't even actually have a conclusion to that thought. Just something I, I was toying with in my mind. No, it's a good point. It's a good question. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it does. Sometimes it does get tenuous when you uh, tie everything in together. Like some of the criticisms, whether with like whether it's their books or movies or shows, when everybody's like related to somebody, you know, that everybody's got a some kind of t- somebody has some kind of direct tie to almost everybody else, and then it makes you wonder well, that's a little too convenient at times. So, I think even looking at it from that you know, that basic that or that base base perspective, that yeah, it does it does make you wonder that this Starheart does seem to be a little maybe a little too convenient, like a trope you can go back to what you know. Way too often. Go to the well. A little, little, little too often sometimes. But I'd like to be able to tell, and, and and I mean, and when I say I like, I'd like to, I mean literally me. I'd like to be able to go back, 
reread every single relatively major appearance of the Starheart, whether we actually see the Starheart or it has a really heavy effect on Alan uh, or Jade or Obsidian. Reread all that shit and then come up with like the definitive Starheart story. Just one massive, you know, maybe three-part prestige format miniseries. Just let me loose on it. I want to see if I can do something with it. I think that I think it'd be cool. I think I think between and keep it in mind when I say the Starheart story and and, and influences of the Starheart. I don't just mean like if if I were to put this issue in the bunch of my research for that. I wouldn't just include the Alan Scott thing, the Alan Scott Tor Kamada parts. I'd include the whole issue because Tor, uh, the, the Starheart says, you know, according to it, that it's influencing these other stories. So if there's something to be had in any one of these three, uh, three other stories, I could pull from that too. Like, I'd love to just like try and figure out how every Starheart story maybe fits together. Because between this and the Heart of Darkness, and uh, I mean it's fitting because we just rebroadcast it, the Dark Things, you know, trying to figure out how all of these various Starheart stories fit together, uh, I, I I just I'd love to be able to tackle that. So yeah, that's 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 a very it's a very cool concept, that's for sure. Right, what else did you think about it? The story or the issue as a whole? Uh, either either the story or the issue as a whole. We can move on to that. I didn't mean to shortchange it. I, I think no, no, no. It's fine with me. Now the story was. I thought the story was good. It was not. See this. The stuff with the Starheart doesn't really do that much for me personally in general. Not just in this volume, but overall. So because of that, that was not my favorite part of this. I think. You know, I think I think the Baron stuff, the Ash stuff. Uh, I think the Guardians' history stuff at the beginning. Yeah, the, the probably just gonna say the prologue with the Guardian. That's to me that stuff was more interesting. They were better stories. I think the even the though again it didn't like you said it didn't didn't add much. There wasn't much to it. Even the little Halloween, you know, intro, you know, the second prologue with you know Obsidian and Jade and Alan. I liked all that. I think better than I think the wrap up story with the Starheart and with the. Uh, the Aria story. I those, I think those were. So I think those were the. To me, those were. To me, those were the weaker links in the book. But I thought the book overall was was pretty good. It was one of the certainly one of the more serious or thought provoking, I guess, issues in, especially considering the stories are relatively straightforward. But when you realize what's going on behind the scenes with the magic and what it could mean, and yeah, I I, I it was. It was it was cool because they weren't they certainly weren't they certainly weren't Green Lantern stories that kind of went the way many other Green Lantern stories we've read have gone certainly in the quarterlies so I thought that was pretty good yeah yeah I, I, if I were to recommend uh, an issue of the quarterlies I def like I said earlier I definitely recommend this one uh, it's it serves as a it's it's kind of both a a um, a Tales of the Core anthology type thing, but also a one-shot. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. a, a Tales of the Core anthology issue is technically a one-shot on its own, since it's just an, a collection of various kind of one-shot-ish type stories. Um, but it works pretty well as a one-shot itself. I mean, I know it says, I know it leaves some dangling plot threads, and I know it sort of picks up, kind of, from a point. Uh, but it it really works on its own, and I like it. I I, th- I think it's I think it's, you know, I like I like honestly I like everything in it, uh, even the star heart parts. Although I do agree that it is part of it's a weaker part of the issue. It's it's that Aaron or Arya or whatever story that I don't like. And I, I don't mean don't like in terms of like the art was bad or the story itself was bad. It's just for me there wasn't a whole lot to that story there that was either new or um, I don't want to say not intriguing because I did continue reading it trying to see what happens next. But it just it wasn't fresh or, or original or it didn't other than the fact that these sort of lantern zombies pop up type of thing it really didn't feel tonally like it fit with everything else i agree so yeah i don't know yeah i think that i did make the, i think that did make the story a little made it a little harder to read i think because it, it, it took it, some of the pacing out yes yeah all right anything else you want to say about this issue not really off the top of my head all right, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and close it out. No feedback or anything this episode. We do have some feedback, but we can't get to it until we do some regular issue reviews. So we are just going to go ahead and close out the episode. Mark, where can people find us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. That is the best way to reach us. Our website is lanterncast.com. Uh, you can get our issue reviews, Dark Star reviews. A trip to the past, but still we have some Dark Star issue write-ups. We have blog posts. We have movie reviews, Ring Encyclopedia episodes, which, yes, there will be one coming soon. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to find us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever of those two platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, if you would like to leave us a voicemail, 708-Lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We will talk to you next time with some current issue reviews. But in the meantime, if you want, stay tuned to After the Credits for our rebroadcast uh, of, um, I mean, not technically a, a, like a, an official Lantern Cast classic rebroadcast like, like uh, last episode was. Um, but if you want to hear Jim and Dan's thoughts from way back on LanternCast episode number 30 on this very same issue, stay tuned after the credits and we will just re-air that uh, episode for you. Sounds like a plan. Go for it, Chad. Uh, all right, guys. We will talk to you guys later. Uh, yes, we will. We will talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night.
Hi everybody, this is Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 30. Happy Halloween! That's like way too cheerful for a Halloween episode. Happy Halloween! <laughs> we, we gotta go try and spooky. Okay, that's just creepy. Creepy's close to spooky. Uh, okay, so this is our big, oh, our first big Halloween episode. But before we do that, we have one quick announcement and two quick shout-outs. Well, remember how last time I was talking about how crappy that Sinestro Corps neon sign thing was? I do. For being like 90 bucks and it was just a yellow Green Lantern emblem? Well, apparently that was just promo art or whatever. So it was just a mock-up and they have the solicitations for... Actually, I don't know when this comes out. Yes, I do. It comes out on June. June 9th. It's the finished version of this thing. And it it is the Sinestro Core emblem, so... May have been a little hasty with my uh, criticisms of it, but you know, I can only work with what they give me. <laughs> it's still gonna be 90 bucks for something that's 9 inches wide and 8 inches high, though. So... Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still warranted. They do have a new ring prop, though, like, directly under... I'm looking at the Newsarama solicits. Oh, yes. I I mean, admittedly, it's a nice-looking ring. It was very well sculpted and everything. I even like the the shade of green they have for the center, and it, it, it the color-wise, it looks nice, but it's still... It's a freaking silver, and it is made out of metal. So that's good, too. But... They just couldn't color it green. They had to leave it silver with, like, a dot of green in the center. Well, my my issue with that is they're calling it the Honor Guard ring prop. Which, yeah. Like, first off, it's not a prop because it's silver. I mean, that's not a, you know, that's not a replica of any sort. And, you know, on top of that, like, they say that it's not meant to be worn. Which, if you're buying this, most people are gonna wear it, and it's uh, you know it only comes in a size 11, and it's not even silver; it's like silver metal. So basically, that's like yeah, whatever metal we had lying around that was silverish in shade. It's like we had some brass and we painted it. Now I've you've told me this before. When they say not intended to be worn, that's just because the paint or whatever might rub off on you or something. Yeah, yeah, actually, like, the the props, the ring props that they've come out with in the past, which they, you know, they come with a bust or whatever, or the uh, Planet Krypton ring set, when they say that that is not meant to be worn, that's because they don't want you to, you know, chip the paint or get it all banged up or whatever, because it is, you know, part of the statue. But by the same token... If you wear one of those rings, you're probably going to be better off than wearing this ring because this is silver metal. This is probably something that's going to be able to get tarnished very easily. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about the paint getting chipped, but you'll just have to worry about it getting discolored from tarnish. This is like the exact opposite direction from where they were going with those uh, Lantern Core giveaway rings. This is basically like a nicer version of the ring that they were selling for, I don't know, was it 20 bucks or whatever? 
that, that actually were intended to be worn and came in various sizes. Is that the one you have that you wore to New York? Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> well, okay then. Yeah, well, it's nothing against you as a consumer or anything, but I don't know. They got it, it. They keep getting so close, but not. And it's thirty-five bucks, and it's at least two sizes too small for me. So you got giant ham fingers there. <laughs> Our Halloween episode rocks. <laughs> yeah, we already went too long on this stuff. Okay, so now my my uh, little piece of whatever. I went to the Big Apple Comic Convention. Uh, I guess when you guys listen to this, it'll be the previous weekend or so, the weekend before last. And while I'm not going to be getting into that right now because this is our Halloween episode, I do want to give two quick shout-outs. I met two listeners of ours. Uh, One of them I didn't have the foresight to get the name of. Uh. Yeah, so... Hi, and it was actually a female, so that that kind of... You were probably stumbling over yourself with embarrassment and shame. It's like, girl? <laughs> Not at all, because basically Lauren was just, uh, you know, she was the one that was going after most of the, the Green Lantern fans out there, giving out business cards and stuff. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, shout out to you, thank you for listening, and it was cool to meet you, and... Then the other person that I met was uh, Murdy, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, but it's like Hoy or something. I hear he makes great cake. I hear his fiance makes great cakes, or his girlfriend. I hear his his lady makes great cakes. I well, he, the point is he's associated with quality cake. That's that's what you should take away from this. Yes, and we await pictures on said cake. Yes. So, it was awesome meeting you, Marty, and uh, we'll have more details on the convention next week. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> also, yeah, like like I was hinting at, um, yeah, my fiance Lauren, she really handed out a bunch of business cards, and she was really, she was the go-getter at this convention as far as getting business cards in people's hands, so... Thank you, honey. She's apparently the only one doing any work. Hey, you know. Uh, okay, hey. so. What? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> and now let's uh, let's head right into our our big giant Halloween discussion. Yes, this is from one of my favorite series, Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. This uh, particular issue, number seven, came out in. 1993. This is this is series wrapped up right before Emerald Twilight, so right before Kyle Rayner showed up for the first time and the core fell and how it went nuts and all that. And they actually they gave us a Halloween issue, which you know if you're not familiar with the book, it's an anthology title. It's got what three stories about random alien Green Lanterns by different creators and it's kind of strung together by like a, well, I guess bookended by an Alan Scott story. Let's see, where do you want to start? Want to? Do you want to kind of talk about the entire Alan Scott story together? I don't. I don't even think we need to do that. I think we can split it up and actually use that as the bookend for the discussion. Okay. So, yeah. So now, 
I guess I have actually read some of this in the past, but I haven't read the whole thing. So you suggested this, and, you know, I was basically like, yeah, okay, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll do that Halloween issue for Halloween. Because I was never a, a huge reader of the Green Lantern Corps quarterly series. Bastard. Yeah, I've read some stories here and there, like, kind of randomly. But um, I haven't read the whole thing yet. So, basically, as soon as this starts, it's just like, oh my god, like, this is, like, such a great issue to be covering as Blackest Night is going on. I assume you you noticed Quill on, like, page one? Yeah. (laughs) Killing a guardian? (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm, like, looking, I'm like, oh, this that looks familiar. And then I'm, like, reading, and it's like, oh my god, this is them telling the story of the creation of the Starheart. Yeah, it takes place, like, like the initial three pages is kind of a... It's it's roundabout and it's abridged at the same time. It's like, it's taking, like, a long overview of how we eventually got the Alan Scott Green Lantern, but it's a really brief summary. It's just, like, it's, it's giving you, you know, the history of the Guardians. It's showing them before they eventually became the little, like, gnome... Murphs, <laughs> where they're like they're all like warrior like and they're going around dealing out justice on their own instead of sending people to do it for them now i i guess we should probably give a rundown of what actually happens in this origin you basically have the the guardians themselves like dan said before they're all shrunken and shriveled up fighting to contain all the random magic in the universe and one of the places that they're containing magic is Ysmalt to kind of like combat the Empire of Tears, which plays pretty prevalent in uh, the Red Lantern course. Oh, God, yeah. They finally succeed creating a, a much more orderly universe, and they lock all of this, you know, mystical, magical energy into a star. And they call it the Star Heart, and it's kind of like flying around the universe. And it's kind of like also gaining sentience. Now, at some point along the way, the Star Heart, like a part of it breaks off, kind of like a benevolent portion, like the good portion, and merges with the essence of Yalin Gur, who was the, the dragon Green Lantern member that, uh, they changed, the Guardians changed his weakness to wood so that the ancient Chinese people could rise up against him because he was subjugating them. And we've gone over this in the past on previous episodes of the Lantern Cast. But, uh, he was kind of like dying in space, like flying away from Earth. The Starheart merged with him and crash landed on Earth. And that meteorite like, they used to build the lamp, which eventually became, you know, the power source for Alan Scott. I really like the fact that, you know, the Guardians made no distinction, you know? Magic is chaotic, so magic's bad. Because, like, they're running down the list on the first page of the different worlds they took out and what those worlds can do and what those people can do. Right. And you you had some violent ones, but the last one they mentioned was um the shamans of, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Ashmel who cured illness with feathery caresses. Like, they, they took out people who use magic to cure people's diseases. Yeah. Just because they were magic. Yeah, I, I, I still can't get over the fact that, like, 
right here, it's it's a major appearance. It's the Empire of Tears, and you're small. And I don't know, I guess this is something that not a lot of people have picked up on or something, because, you know, this is the kind of thing that I think more people would want to, you know, witness. I know. And something that I thought was kind of interesting was how, like, in this description of the Starheart's origin, it, it in, the, in a way, it kind of parallels what we've seen with the emotional spectrum entities, where you get enough of a certain kind of energy in one spot for long enough, it'll eventually become self-aware. Right. Like, like over time, the Starheart kind of became a parallax or ion-like entity before there was ever, well, in continuity for before there was ever Parallax or Ion. Now, the idea that only part of the Starheart broke off to create the power source for Alan Scott. Now, in, in uh, I think it was the third series of Green Lantern, issue 19, where they had the big anniversary issue and they explained how, well, they basically for the first time talked about Yalan Gurr. Did they mention at that point that it was only a part of the Starheart? I think so. That's how I've always understood it. I always thought it was the like the whole Starheart that merged. No, I mean, if it if it was anything more than just a piece of it, I think like like the Guardians would have gone off after it or sent like an army to get it back. An interesting point. You know, we go from uh, from that opening to. Jade and Obsidian, the children of Alan Scott, trick-or-treating on Alan Scott's door when they realize that he's been de-aged. <laughs> I love his door knocker. It's like his symbol in 3D, or his original symbol. Now, one thing that I thought was funny was that this is, like, right after he took on the new uh, costume. But if you look, like, in, like, two panels, right, he keeps his, his battery, his, his power lantern, on an end table. And right in front of it is a bowl of purple candy. Huh. Nice little uh, throwback to his, his old costume. I just like how he nonchalantly keeps it by the candy dish. <laughs> oh, raisin. Oh, limitless magical energy. <laughs> Somebody comes over, hey, what's that thing? What's that thing? Shut up. That's what it is. Have some candy. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you what it is, or would you rather have some candy? Oh, I think I'll take the candy. They bring in Torquemada, the the magical uh, Green Lantern, and they have to go and kind of take care of some loose random energy flying through the cosmos. He's you know Tor- Torquemada has shown up a bunch. He's been in that uh he's been in a lot of crowd shots. I know he was in the Agent Orange story arc. He he was in that uh, twelve issue Ion story, but we won't hold that against him. He was in that? In, like, issue two or three or something. Oh, one of those issues. Oh, yeah, one of those. <laughs> and it's cool, because he's... It, like, they're doing a Halloween story, so who do they bring in? They bring in the one member of the Green Lantern Corps that deals directly with the occult, and they have him go after the one Green Lan- other Green Lantern who's powered entirely by magic. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a little weird that Alan flat-out forbade... Jenny and Todd from helping him, even though he's fine with them going out and being superheroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that you risk your lives every day to save people, but this, this I have a feeling is way out of your leagues. 
like, <laughs> call me when you get into the JLA, kids. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's get into what I think, what I would call the uh, the main feature of this thing. This it's 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 the cover. I mean, it's like this is your uh, this is your favorite part. This one. Um. I think so. I think so. Okay. I mean, it had some ooh, moments to it, but I think like this this one holds up really well. This is this is the first appearance of Ash, the vampire hunting Green Lantern, who. You know, if you were reading any of the Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps stuff leading up to Blackest Night, you've seen this guy before. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got, we open on like this, and this one, we should say, it was written by Ron Mars with art by Tony Harris. And it opens up on this, this scene, this kind of horror movie scene of this, like, this woman who's, you know, she's walking home alone in the dead of night, even though it's like a really bad area. She takes a wrong turn as, and is boxed in by, you know, a trio of space vampires. And, which are, you know, the same as regular vampires, but, you know, in space. And they're about to eat her when Ash shows up. He's being all badass, telling them, you know, leave her alone. Get away from her now. And the vampires he's looking at, he recognizes one of them as the guy who killed his wife, like, years ago. Years ago, like, when he had a full head of hair years ago. <laughs> and now, thoroughly pissed off, Ash just starts killing vampires left and right. He gets cocky. His ring finger and, like, one or two other fingers get chopped off. But, you know, that <laughs> that turns out to not slow him down at all. <laughs> I, I gotta think I would be a little taken aback by it. And he finally gets, here in his first appearance, he finally fulfills his vengeance mission and, you know, avenges his wife by killing the vampire who killed her. And what I thought was really cool, something I've forgotten, is that after he's done killing this group of vampires, he's done. As far as he's concerned, his his thing is over. But the chick he saved is is telling him, you know, if you don't keep helping people who will, this is what you do. You gotta do this. And it ends on a kind of somber note. <laughs> you can never stop. What did you think? Oh, I, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was a great story. I like how, you know, the the thing that you, know, you, you almost can wonder a little, like, uh, well, how does he know that it's the vampire that killed his wife? You know, maybe it just looks very similar and the actual one is out there. But, like, the fact of the matter is, this one looks exactly like that guy. He burned his image in his brain. And not to mention, he's also carrying the uh, like the wedding necklace thing that he had gotten for his wife. And plus the vampire says, oh yeah, you were that farmer. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's another thing. Ash started out as like just a regular farmer who, you know, tragedy took him in this weird direction. Yeah. I kind of wonder if like he was purple when he was a farmer. I was thinking that too, but I think it was just the lighting. Cause, all right, in the flashback, I kind of, I kind of glazed over this. Cause like when he sees the vampire, he has a flashback to his wife's death, and he describe, and it's in the art, and he describes it too, how he returned home to see, you know, everything's on fire and his wife's being murdered. So, I just took his coloring to be a mix of oh, it's a flashback, and oh, it's it's a lighting thing from the fire. 
I mean, that's a possibility, but, like, he doesn't have any of the, the tattoos at that point either. So it may have been something along the lines of, like, you know, he went for, like, a full-on body transformation and had himself, like, colored purple to blend in with the night. Well, you know, he's an alien, so for all we know, his race starts out one color and finishes life another color. You know? <laughs> it was three fingers. He lost three fingers. Yeah. And and yet he still wanted to pick the ring up with that hand. That's <laughs> Yeah. Do you think they tried a little too hard to make Ash seem badass in this thing? You know, part of me says yes. But I think part of me, it's also kind of like, at this point, he's just so jaded with life. You know, and he's acting all cool and collected up until the point where, like, okay, you're the one that actually, you know, killed my wife. Now I'm kind of going to kill you. Well, like, I'm looking at the page where, I guess it's two pages before he gets his fingers chopped off. You know, the vampire, like, he's he already recognized the vampire, and the vampire recognized him, and he's taunting Ash... And Ash is just being all like, yeah, I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. And then he just freaking bitch slaps the vampire. And the vampire just has this look on his face like, what the hell did he just do? (laughs) And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, seriously? (laughs) That sounds like, that sounds like a song just waiting to happen. Bitch slap a vampire. There should be a garage band named that. (laughs) I might look for show music for this episode by typing that in. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch slapped a vampire. I'll probably find one. And the whole, like, when the vampire is begging for mercy, that was a little too over the top but for me. Yeah, no, I, I bought it. Because, you know, it just it, it worked with it. Now, about the last panel of this. First, I really like how sad Ash looks. Yeah. Like, he did He did what he set out to do. He avenged his wife. He did all that. He was done and ready to move on, but he can't, because this is his life now. And you could, you get that realization from that expression on his face. Yeah. And are we to take it from that shadow on the building that the girl he saved is a monster, too? Oh. Oh. Because I remember even the first time I read this years ago, thinking, like, well... If she was, why didn't she, like, kill the vampires? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, because, like, she seems, like, she seems really creepy. Especially, like, the smile on her face after he just freaking killed three vampires. You saved me. I couldn't just leave you. Like, no. No, if there's three vampires and one dude that's trying to fight them off, you basically run as fast as you can and hope that that dude was enough to fill them up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like, I was trying to figure out, like, what the shadows were supposed to be. But that makes a lot of sense because she did seem real creepy. I guess it's like, maybe it's supposed to be some kind of commentary on innocence in a big scary universe. Like, that works. Okay, so, so next up, next up was my favorite story. Ah, I thought you might like this. Oh, this is oh, this is so good. We have uh, Green Lantern Barin. Now, Barin is a giant, kind of like a like a slug creature. Yeah, slug snail. Yeah. yeah, I guess snail would probably be closer. His battery is kind of like a snail shell. I love that. 
Yeah, his lantern symbol was is like a, a merge of the Green Lantern symbol, like with the, the snail curve going inwards on the round part. Really cool design. Basically, this uh, this Green Lantern is charged with uh, his sector. Is not really much of a sector. It's the gates of hell. This is a Green Lantern who guards literally the gates of hell. No pressure. I, I mean, like, he's just, you know, he's he stopped aging, but the story goes that the, the Guardians kind of, like, stopped his aging when he was old. So now he's got, like, this eternal struggle fighting off demons every day. Like, every morning, the demons, like, try and break through the gates. So every morning he has to go out and, you know, fight them off. So he's, you know, he's an old snail creature. He's got, like, this giant crazy battle axe, and this is his Green Lantern ring, and he just, you know, fights demons all day long. Until finally, like, there's no more demons to fight, and he goes to sleep for, you know, the, the night, and the next day he does it all over again. And, like, you know, it's just, like, this this horrible struggle. You know, he was, he, he enlisted in the army when he was really young, and, you know, he just kept on moving up through the ranks. And, you know, like, he'd, he'd, he'd always be fighting these battles for the honor and because he knew that it was right. But now, like, he's been doing this for so long, guarding the gates of hell. You know, it's just, it's it's more like a torment. You know, this is his, his eternal damnation, guarding these, these gates. And, you know, like, it's just this tale of him fighting, fighting this fight. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know, the fever appears to be ebbing. And all of a sudden, they're in this room on Oa, and it's a couple of guardians talking to Green Lantern Bodica. And they're basically explaining how this this guy, Barin, was selected to be a Green Lantern, but he was too young and he wasn't experienced enough. And because of it, he was caught in an ambush. And, you know, he, he got really badly hurt and got put in a coma. And so, like, he's not actually a Green Lantern, supposedly. He's just in this coma fighting this battle in his head every day as the fever comes and goes. And, like, you know, they wonder. It's like, well, you know, if only we had given him the ring later on in his life, maybe he would have gotten more experience. And then they close with its... You know, it, it's back in his mind again, and, uh, you know, another day is dawning, and he's just fighting the fight all over again, fighting demons in his head. Yeah, there's, like, no end to the the symbolism and the, the parallels and the connections you can make with this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's trapped in his own personal hell, which is literally what's going on in his head, which is representative of his state of mind because he's in a coma. He, he He's like, like, even though he's still young, in his mind he's been living out an entire lifetime where he wishes he was young, even though he still is, but he doesn't know it because, he, again, he's in a coma. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's like he's, he's giving himself exactly what he's always wanted, but then it's turning out to be too much of a good, a good thing. What you call it? This uh, this one, this this story, was written by James Robinson. Yeah, and anyone who hasn't liked James Robinson's recent works, 
find this issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is this is tremendous. Uh, this is so good. You know, I, I was reading it, and I mean, aside from the fact that like the artwork is fantastic, I Kirk Van Warmer did the pencils. I, I this is like probably one of my favorite, you know, visually stunning Green Lantern stories ever. This is just it's brilliant looking. It's demons, it's alien Green Lantern, it's, you know, it doesn't have, a, you know, it's not supposed to look like anything in particular, and yet the outcome is, like, completely natural, and this is how it should look. These are the best panel borders I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, like, on par with Fables. Yeah, it, it has, like, like every panel, Some sometimes every page looks like it's got, like, a museum frame around it. That's extremely detailed, extremely stylized with all this creepy stuff. Like, whether it be plants or symbols or monsters or whatever. It's like you're reading this... Like, like if if somebody decided to do a comic where they just make a series of paintings, put them in decorative frames, and set them up on a wall in the form of a printed comic page, that's what this is like. So... So now I'm I'm reading this this issue, and I'm kind of wondering if if it is all just in his head. How do you mean? Well, uh, at one point they say you know the reason that he was able to to do this to guard the gates of hell, it's a mixture of arcane lore and the guardian's alien science empowering him, while at the same time taking his life and sending him to the netherworld. You know, it's like, part of me almost kind of wonders if maybe the Guardians are just kind of like giving Budika a cover story, and that, you know, in actuality, while his body is being taken care of on Oa, he is still very much mentally projecting himself, is guarding the gates of hell as a Green Lantern. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of like that idea. I do too. I think it's it's a little like if that's what they're going for, it's way too subtle. Right. Which makes me think it's not what they're going for, but it could be. Yeah, I mean like it doesn't you you have to kind of read into it and kind of like, you know, jump to a conclusion to to see that as a possibility. But, you know, by the same token, I think it's it's a much more poetic ending for the character. I think it's poetic no matter how you slice it. Cause, I mean, I mean, he's he's living his life and realizing his nightmare at the same time, even though he's not. Right. It's a more valiant ending if you look at it like it actually is happening. It's just that nobody else can know of it. Yeah, no, I think they were going for tragic. It would keep in line with like every other story in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there is there is one one thing to kind of to confirm what I'm thinking, but we'll get to that later. Alright, and um, now what do you think of the choice, the coloring ch- I don't know if it's a coloring choice or whatever to have like almost every time he uses his ring instead of coloring these solid objects or anything you just get like a green outline and that's what the constructs are. Like, oh that partially answers my question. <laughs> oh, I see. Because, like, when he's swinging in his axe, they've got, like, 
Like, uh, I'm looking at the page after the two-page spread where he's swinging his axe and you, you got the pair of lines coming off his hand and that's the ring shooting somebody. And on the next page, the top panel, he's actually making a shield there. Right, yeah. And then on the bottom panel, he's sending out, like, pincers and claws and stuff. But it's just... It's like the framework without filling it in at all. In a story where everything else looks so good, I feel like that just kind of dropped the ball. Because it doesn't really look good to me. Especially with that shield scene, it just looks confusing. Because, like, you have to kind of look at it for a, for a minute before you realize, oh, he's making a solid object to block that swipe. Well, you know, I didn't even catch it. Unless that's, like, to somehow symbolize that his constructs are, like, hollow and invisible. Hmm. I don't see the point in that. Yeah, in any case, I loved it. Yes, it was very good. Alright. Should we go to the really effed up one? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is... Oh, boy. Alright. This is, like... Uh, who Who wrote this one? This was by... John Skip and Craig Spetter with art by Matthew Jorgensen. And... Like, you gotta read this thing, because it is, like, it's real, it's, how long is it? This is one, two, three, four, five. This is 13 pages. You're gonna feel like you read a full issue. <laughs> and it is just so insanely, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it, there's a lot of, de- there's a lot of information in here. And it certainly helps set the stage. Cause, uh, like, cause I think the one, the one complaint people have about anthologies is, well, how can you really get into the characters, or how can you really care about a story that's so short, or whatever? <laughs> and that's like this gets rid of that. All right, so you got this Green Lantern. His name is. Are we saying Aria? I was thinking more like Aria. Aria. Okay, that works. So, all right, this, this is gonna be extremely paraphrased. But <laughs> all right, he, he gets the ring, and his things start out well enough. All right. Kind of like Hitler went to art school. The system he lives in, there's three inhabited planets. They they all have problems with each other. They fight a lot. He decides he wants to quell the fighting by uniting those three worlds. And, you know, that's that's good. That's good. He should be doing that. That's his job. And, you know, he goes to one race, and they're all cool with it because they think he's God, which, which should be red flag number one. Yeah. Then the second race, the second planet he goes to... They're like, screw you, hippie. Then they just start shooting them with their spaceships. And this race is, you know, their natural skin tone is yellow. And so they figure out really quick that, oh, he can't affect yellow. So they make all their weapons and stuff yellow. Things just kind of escalate. Because he starts, <laughs> he starts, because, yeah, yeah, he starts building an army. Uh, he, I think he taps the, the race that thinks he's God for that. And they start making these, you know, ground and air military strikes at the other planet. And you think, okay, you know what? They have to figure out a way around this military, this military resistance. Of their, it's, it's for the good of Earth. It's, it'll be okay. They haven't gone too far yet. They haven't gone too far yet. Wait, 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 wait. Now, you say they haven't gone too far yet, but at this point in the story, he's already, like, tortured his brother... For, like, telling people that the yellow people, you know, are, are going to fight back. Oh, see, I kind of skipped over that. Because when you get to the part where he builds the Paradise Work Camps, 
<laughs> the brother thing just kind of loses any, like, teeth it had to it. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he he creates a military foothold on that, uh, the planet of yellow people, and, well, he, he makes some, uh, what are they, weapons manufacturing plants that pollute the atmosphere, and then creates these work camps to stick all the native people in, and, and you know... <laughs> Things are things are going. Wait, 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 wait. Now you also kind of glossed over the fact that when they're in these work camps, he's tearing their wills from their bodies. Oh, was that in? Was that there already? Yeah, it's like it, it, while they're in the uh, the work camps, he's taking all of their willpower and you know, using that to like you know charge up his power battery. Oh, while well, they're in the reformation chambers. <laughs> yeah. So continue. You know, everything's everything's good. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so yeah, he he wins on that planet, but meanwhile, the planet that thinks he's god is starting to get uneasy. So he's got to figure out what to do about that. It's already overextended everybody, and there's just this like little resistance group, this like pocket of people that are. That are like ideally trying to rise up against him, but they don't know what the hell to do. So, oh god, <laughs> they basically one of them volunteers. Well, this young woman volunteers to basically get captured, and like, god, yeah, yeah. Now this. How, is... how do we how do we do this? Okay. How do we do this and okay. not like, offend people? You do it. This, this this is rough. Um, basically, okay, it, it's a woman who they know that he's gonna go for, shall we say? And he does go for her, and uh, basically while he's asleep, she with her yellow skin is able to take his Green Lantern ring off, and. She doesn't know what she's going to do, so she just kind of eats the ring. Now, it's a really large ring because, you know, it's accommodating to fit his hand, which is like a, a huge hand. So, like... Yeah, his hand is the size of her head. Yeah. Well, it's bigger, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> mo most people's hands are the size of their heads. I thought it was the size of your heart. Is that your fist is the size of your heart? Yeah, that's probably... That, that's what it is. But your outstretched hand is the same size as your face. I'll check in front of a mirror when we're done. You do do that. So she swallows this giant ring, and it's, like, tearing at, like, the tissue in her throat. This is, like, this is a totally messed up issue. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And so, like, now this this ring is stuck inside her body, and, like, they'll never be able to tell because she's got yellow skin, They'll never be able to, like, will it out of her or anything like that. So, you know, they're like, where is it? Where is it? And, like, they're torturing her. And she's, like, incriminating other people, you know, who have no idea who she is, what she does, just to, you know, kind of create a little more unrest in the uh, in the government or, you know, the, the ruling that this guy is doing. It's weird, though. He's, as soon as she implicates one guy, he kills that guy. And, like, ten other people, just in case. Yeah, yeah. So he sends, they send off this girl to one of the, uh, 
paradise camps where she runs into her her husband. He also was in the resistance and, you know, he was apparently fully on board with the plan to uh, get her to go for the guy to get the ring off his finger. Totally messed up. They both get killed and uh, they're just like, you know, hanging out on these like giant mass graves, which kind of looks like the wall of China. I should mention like the reason they got killed was because two of the guards had a bet over whether their particular caliber of energy rifle could cut a body in half. Yeah. Yeah, so so now they're they're, they're dead. They're dead mass graves. Looks like the wall of China of dead bodies. And you know, a- Aria, this despot ruler is uh just kind of like going through the, the the remains or whatever. He's always searching for his ring, you know, cuz now he doesn't have the energy to you know, hold on to everything. We should throw in like he enjoys touring well, Paradise One, so I guess there's a bunch of these places. But he he absorbs the stench of his enemies' bodies. It makes him feel better. Yeah. And, you know, all he has left is his power battery, and he can't access the energy in it. But it contains the willpower of a billion people. All those people that he'd, like, stripped their willpower from, a billion people's willpower. So, now the battery is kind of like just on display, being carried around, the dead bodies, you know, like, basically right next to it, and so this ring that, you know, this uh, this yellow woman had swallowed, it, like, I guess gets charged up just because it's in the vicinity of the battery, and, you know, now all of a sudden she has the power of Green Lantern, takes her revenge, <laughs> She like she she comes back to life as a zombie, like reaches into her chest and pulls out the ring and just starts bringing back a ton of other dead people. You know, I I, I guess like they're kind of like using the uh, you know the excuse that since the willpowers of these people were captured in the battery. They're able, you know, she's able to access the dead bodies because of that. Yeah, works for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, they take their revenge. They get this bad guy area, um, kill him completely. And then her dead husband, also kind of like a zombie, comes up and says, now we're done. And uh, the zombie skeletons, you know, now lifeless, fall to the ground. Uh, along with the ring. Then a rose grows. That's all better. Yeah. There there are so many things wrong with this story. Was this the most messed up thing you've ever read? You know, not even because, like, it, it, it's... This story is wrong on, like, multiple levels. I, I mean, like, okay. Like, aside from, like, the, the, the horrific violence and all of the things that they're implying, first off, why would the Guardians allow this? Because this guy is, like, you know, ten times worse than Sinestro, and apparently the Guardians just are not getting involved at all. Just not at all. And, like, on top of that, you know, at the very end, okay, so 
the ring, you know, is inside her, her dead body, and she's yellow. So, okay, so whatever. You got the yellow thing keeping it in there. After she dies, the ring falls to the ground, and a rose grows up through it. How come it's not seeking out a new a new user? I, wasn't this at a time where, like, because the whole, like, Mogo directs them to go find their own new people thing, that's relatively new. Back in the day, like, a Guardian or another Green Lantern would have to, like, physically bring you a ring. So, like, I don't know if they were flying through space by themselves at this point. How long do you think this guy was doing this? Because, like, it had to have been years. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You don't, you don't like, take over an entire population and build factories that spew out lots and lots of pollutants <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Uh, I gotta say, I read this a long time ago. Can't say I remembered all the genocide and rape. This couple gets married, like, two weeks before the war, and now, like, they're, like, the part of the last part of Resistance. You know, it's like, seven people in the Resistance. That's basically it. And the guy's like, yeah, we know that, you know, we don't want you to do this, but you're the only one that can. I guess she's basically the only decent-looking woman that they have left, so they send her to go seduce the uh, leader. Yeah, probably like, a, well, it's for the planet, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, this, this is a hor- horrific story. Like, the only thing that I thought was cool was that she uses the, the ring and, like, you know, her zombie body, like, she's got the Green Lantern symbol kind of, like, etched on her skeleton. Yeah, it's like her rib cage almost realigns to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was cool. It's like a hole where her heart used to be. Ooh. <laughs> so we can, we can end on, like, a, a slightly higher note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, just... Go, go for this. So, you know, Alan and Torquemada have been flying through space. Well, you know, you know, the setup for this this whole issue was that, you know, while they were flying to the Starheart, Torquemada was telling Alan these stories. It's that kind of thing. And they finally arrived to the Starheart. And it is just freaking the hell out. It is getting loose. It's changing. It's just, it's, it's just go, going all sorts of crazy. And they have to contain it before the magic gets out and it causes, like, random, just just random chaos all over the universe, like in the instances here. So they, they enter the Starheart and they find a female character known as the Sentinel, who was charged with, I guess, keeping the Starheart in check, making sure this, exactly this doesn't happen. Yeah. And you're, they're like, holy crap, who did this to the Sentinel? And then they turn around and see, like, this weird... They see the Starheart, who's taking, like, physical form. He looks kind of like somebody cosplaying as a dragon. Like, very non-threatening, but, you know... What? It's a giant, like, dragon person. That's very threatening. Oh, he looks stupid. He has fire coming out of his belly button. That's not fear-inducing. That is, like, a reason to take an antacid. Now... Now the next the next scene and you know this is I, I'm gonna stop you in your uh, synopsis because you have a scene where five different images of things going on in different locations. One of them is 
the story that just finished with uh, the Green Lantern area and the zombies taking over. The next one is of Ash taking out the vampire. And the next one is of Green Lantern Barin, and he's, you know, fighting at the gates of hell. And the Starheart is saying, already trickles of escaped magic careen through the cosmos, banning to life dark and fantastic flames. So I'm thinking that, like, you know, in some way, shape, or form, Barin's story is actually, you know, it's taking on a reality. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that could that actually make sense. Because, I mean, like, we know that Ash's story definitely happened. And, you know, we have no reason to believe why this other, you know, area story hasn't happened. Like, well, my, my, my thing is, like, why would they be showing an image of Barin when it's only happening in his mind? That's interesting. Because that begs the question, you know, are were all of these happening present day? Because the... Because, like, like, you figure, like, okay, if Arya's thing did take years, really the only supernatural part was the very end. So that could have been lined up with all this. Even when they're the Guardians are talking to to a Budica, they don't specify like, well, how long has he been in the coma? So he could have like he like they could have recruited him a week ago and he just fell into the coma. Right. Hmm. Because I think when I initially read that, read a Baron's story, I had thought like, oh, they were checking in on him and he's been there for a while. You know, it could even be that like they found this warrior at this point in time. And, like, by putting him in charge of the Gates of Hell, like, you know, who knows if time actually moves in the same way. It could very well be that, you know, like, they put him in charge, like, a week ago, and that actually translates to, like, you know, a thousand years in Hell's time. Or maybe, maybe it's both. Maybe it's, like, maybe he is just straight up in a coma. But the random magic of the star heart is doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So maybe like it's taken him there, you know, like maybe it's not the guardians doing it's a possibility too. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So back to your synopsis. Yeah. So Alan lunges at the star heart with no effect. The star heart fires back by making both Alan and Torquemada see these like terrible visions, which which are supposed to kind of break their spirits, you know. Torquemada sees his his assistant, uh, Giselle, yeah, yes, who's walking towards him as a zombie, and you know, apparently she's dead. And Alan's Alan's, I thought they kind of cheaped out on because it's just him, shirtless, in a room with a bunch of chains. Yeah. <laughs> they hit home the whole like family, he'll never see them again thing. But at the same time, come on, yeah, that's not much of it. It's not much of a personal hell, I don't think. So Alan bursts out of his little dream thingy, be- probably because it was a particularly weak one, <laughs> and he tr- fires up his ring and forms probably the dumbest 90s suit of armor ever <laughs> and goes taking the fight to the Starheart again. Which, and you know, the Starheart's all like, like, he's, he's continuing to play psychological games. He's like, oh, you can't hurt me. Uh, you should stop fighting anyway, though. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's not hurting me, but, you know, stop. Ow, it hurts. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he 
actually, this is something I'm just noticing now. He's using, like, the same exact maneuver on the star heart, where he's, like, he's tearing him apart with chains now, and, you know, Alan thinks he's won, and it's all great, until he gets, like, impaled through the chest, because, like, you can't physically kill the star heart like that. And then, this is what I thought was, like, weird, okay? Well, kind of weird, but kind of appropriate. So, Alan thought he won. Then he gets impaled through the chest by the star heart, not fatally. Torquemada, he snapped out of it too. He comes to help. But then Torquemada realizes, oh crap, it's too late. And there's a huge explosion. Some nice little blood drippy panel ink at the bottom there. Yeah. And then Alan wakes up like hours later on an asteroid. And we find out, yeah, yeah, we, they failed. They failed. The star heart <laughs> got away. And then it's just kind of over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was able to capture some of it in a ball. But most of it got away. Yeah. We failed miserably. Just enough to kill everybody. <laughs> this is really going to mess everything up in the future. The end. Not even like a question mark. Like Ash's story ended with the end question mark. <laughs> this one, just the end. That's it. Um, Something I glazed over was throughout this part, they had these little sliver vignettes of magical characters throughout the DC universe noticing what was going on. And, you know, you've got, you got like your standard, you know, lineup of people here. You have the Spectre, Darkseid, Phantom Stranger, I think that's Lord Satanus, I think. I haven't read the Rain and Hell yet. Uh, Etrigan, Doctor Fate, and I think that first one was Raven, because I think she went evil once and became like all like porn starry like that. Raven, you think? Yeah, I think it was Raven. Well, because they say it used to be a hero, but well, the point I wanted to make about it is like there's a narrative that continues specifically through these little vignettes. Yeah. That I found completely disjointed and, and like awkward to follow because <laughs> you get you get okay you get the Raven one. And then you get a page worth of Alan and and uh, Torquemada content. Then you get two more, and then it's another page worth of the, the, these guys. And then it's two more, and it's another page worth, and then two more. Meanwhile, the the text in all of the, all like six or seven of these things is telling one continuous sentence. Is it so like? Yeah. Like, they could, should have just done, like, a page or two of these, like, together. And, like, my, my thoughts on that, like, I, I totally agree with that. Um, but it's, like, aside from the fact that, it, you know, it seems disjointed by that, it's, like, completely meaningless. It's like, oh, shoot, we, we need a, a way to fill a third of each page. So let's just, like, draw mystical characters and have, like, a saying that means absolutely nothing, you know? It's like, oh, you know, they feel the ripples, but before they can do anything, it's over, you know? Yeah, it, I mean, I guess they were trying to make it seem bigger, and I kind of yeah. laughed at the fact that, like, like you could look at the Spectre and you read his part, it's like, yeah, the Spectre was about to do something about this, but, uh, too late. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a picture of, uh, Darkseid, just kind of like, you know, Standing there. It's, yeah, he's just standing there. You know, Phantom Stranger. He's just standing there with his hands in his pockets. 
Well, that's what the Phantom Stranger does. Was it uh, Blaze? Blaze on the page before him. She's sitting in her chair. Yeah, the, de- the demon and uh, Fate, they're, they're like the, the two that actually look like they, they might be willing to do something. But they don't. Nobody does anything. Dr. Face just hanging out being a girl, which, you know, if you don't know DC history that well, but you know Dr. Fate from the cartoons, that'll catch you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, true enough. Yeah, but seriously, look at his, like, battle armor. Look at this thing. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess... I, I don't know, like, maybe he was looking to do something that was inspired by his costume. Because, like, I, th- that's really the only excuse I could see for, like, that collar type thing. Yeah, but I don't... Like, the fact that he's wearing armor doesn't even end up mattering. All he has to start with is a mace he makes out of green energy anyway. <laughs> and and it ends with him getting impaled through the chest. So apparently it, the armor didn't do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, it it shouldn't. It really shouldn't do anything. It's like, I, I'm going to use magic that you are against you. <laughs> <laughs> the Starheart is made up of Starheart magic. You have access to a tiny little portion of that magic, and you think you're going to be able to defeat it. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get more, like, tag team with Torquemada. Um, do you think this is where Alan got the Sentinel name from? I think that's probably a, uh, a logical idea. I, I don't, I don't remember reading the, uh, the three-part story, the, was it Heart of Darkness? Well, that came way after this. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's true. But I, I, like, that, that would probably shine a lot more information on the whole Sentinel idea. Well, I'm sure we'll read that eventually. Yeah. So, are we done with this issue? Um, I think so. I mean, I think it's kind of appropriate that the good guys lose since it's a Halloween story. Now, I, I don't know about you, I got, like, a huge science versus religion vibe from this whole thing. Science versus religion? Yeah, because it's like, like, well, when I say religion, I'm thinking, in, like, all, I'm, like, all-encompassing, like, like, spiritual stuff, mystical stuff. It's, it's basically like science versus the supernatural, which is kind of like, it's it's part of that. Because, I mean, you've got, like, the Guardians, who are all about order, and not just order, but order they make themselves, who and, like, their minions, who are the Green Lanterns, who wield power through these pieces of technology. Mm. And what's every story about? It's about someone armed with technology trying to suppress or get rid of, like, some sort of supernatural force. Or being, like, taken out by a supernatural force. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I could buy that. And if you, like, combine that with the fact that, like, the Guardians themselves are kind of gods, it's almost like... I don't want to say, like, replacing religious belief with, like, the faith of science or something, but, like, like, I don't know. We have a couple people on our forum who are, like, big into spiritual analysis and like this kind of thing. I, I want to hear what I want to hear what they think about this. Sounds good. Okay. So we'll uh Oh, and what? Oh, I, one last thing. I just want to touch on like like the cover for this whole issue. This is freaking awesome. 
Like, who did, like, where does it say? Does it say who did it? Is it Tony Harris? Yeah, Tony Harris cover. Yeah. It's that famous shot of Ash from the back, like, he's turning to see behind him. He's, like, he's got his ring shimmering. You get, like, the great shot of the back of his jacket with, like, that that cross with the Green Lantern emblem in it in front of this giant spooky-looking door with a monster face door knocker, and it just says, unlock the door to fear. It's just... <laughs> It's just a, such, such a nice cover. It's so good. Absolutely. It's awesome. Okay, so are we good now? I think we're good. Okay, and we'll take a quick break and come back with the close of the show. and we're back and uh shall we cl- close out the show there dan what well, let's do it let's do it um so how's that green lantern game going i still oh, haven't jumped in really oh it's it's so good uh team lantern cast is currently number one we're at the top position and you know a lot of people are joining up it, it's it's really it, it's a fun game I mean, heck, anything that's going to promote Green Lantern like that, we're all for. If you haven't checked it out yet, then become our friend on Facebook. We have uh, a link right there to the game. And check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, for that matter, 
become our friends on Facebook. You know, we want we want as many friends as we can possibly get. We've been getting a lot in the last few days. We have. We definitely have. We are almost at a hundred. We uh we really want the hundred and uh let's let's go folks. Make it happen. You really want the hundred. I like seeing you squirm. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna see the willpower in action. I wanna see them make it happen. Wow. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure I'm sure we'll get a lot more people out of the Halloween episode. Which yeah. you you know I just realized just right just this instant. What? Like, like oh good now the Halloween episode is over we can go back to what we usually do and talk about zombies. <laughs> <laughs> when don't we do a Halloween episode? <laughs> now we'll cover the story arc with the monsters from space that throw up blood acid at you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, speaking of zombies, next week we'll be back, we'll be talking with Chad Bokelman, who is uh, spearheading the Green Lantern documentary project type thing. Speaking of zombies, we're talking to Chad Bokelman, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but we'll also be talking about Blackest Night Batman. Oh, okay. God. I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I wanted to bring them both up. I, I kind of did it in the ro- wrong order. <laughs> if I had done it in the right order, that really would have worked as a transition. Well, it's we're keeping it now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, Dan, if they want to contact us, what do they do? <laughs> um, they can write us at um, lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh... Or our individual email accounts. Since Jim gave me my password, I can check it now. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. <laughs> I'm Dan at LanternCast.com. He's Jim at LanternCast.com. Jason, our program director, is Jason at LanternCast.com. Uh, you can go to our forum on TheComicForums.com and talk to us and each other. It'll be great. Uh, what else we got? You can go to lanterncast.com. That's got a link to our Facebook page. It's got a link to our message board. It's got our gallery. It's got our bios. It's got all the episodes. You can check us out on iTunes. We got all our episodes on there. You can leave us a review. We'd love that. We'd love, love, love iTunes reviews. I hear it helps people find the shows. Yes. It's just really cool. So if you want to do it, that'd be awesome. And, uh, I think that's it. And I, I just want to also thank, like, a lot, the the people that uh, have sent us emails. Uh, we'll be getting to that in a future episode. But you know who you are. Thank you. They're awesome. We appreciate them. We read them all. Yes. Repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so long, folks. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were we doing? <laughs> uh, that's what this episode was about. <laughs> uh, night, folks. Why'd I ever have to say Words of shame Words I should never say again Why'd you ever have to read between the lines Creating stories that should have been all left behind. Why 
that you ever have to hear my voice. 